This episode of The League Rundown is brought to you by Moxie and Zen. Check out moxieandzen.com slash tforce or just use the code tforce for 20% off of your order. Premium, inexpensive boxers made from bamboo to help wick away the sweat, leaving your bot lane feeling fresh. Compared to the rest, none of them will keep you as comfy as Moxie and Zen. Hello, and welcome to episode 433 of the League Rundown, brought to you by the Trinity Force Network. Uh, This episode doesn't really have a title. Instead, it features a very special guest. We are joined today by uh, someone who you may know and you may love, depending upon what teams and orgs you've been supporting. (laughs) Cough, cough, splice. Cough, cough, evil geniuses. Cough, cough, mad lions. Cough, cough, ints. Uh, we'll introduce him very shortly, uh, but I'm your host, Sean Jigliduff Duffy. I'm joined today by almost a full cast. We have the ever-present Jack Zoman. Twitch.tv slash Jack Zoman. I'm actually streaming again now. There we go. We can watch all your uh, teammates int live on stream. We love to see it. Yes. <laughs> we have live from his own bedroom. It's Kangas Cass. I did not end this season in plat, so uh, next week, Duffy, I give you permission to say Badger first uh, on the introductions. I feel like I need some kind of punishment uh, for for failing this. Okay, you hear that, Jax? So Badger gets to go before you because Kangas didn't get plat. That's what I'm hearing. I also didn't didn't say before Jax. (laughs) You said first. (laughs) I'm counting. I I also didn't get plat, so. Mm Mm-hmm. Fair. There you go. Someone who definitely did got, get plat, I'm assuming. And he's on the loose. It's Mongoose. Uh, I did not get plat. God oh damn it. God. <laughs> I started playing too late. Why and does anyone listen against, to the show? <laughs> no, I was playing against accounts with like 70% win rates and decided to just stop playing. So I have like 12 games this season. Love it. So yeah, it uh, did not go well for me. Okay. So, well, I'm in MMR playing in gold. So happens. Yep. Bickle, am I the only one who actually ended platter above? You're talking to the wrong person. Here, God dude. damn it. <laughs> if Badger were here, you'd have some company, I think. Yes. But uh, yeah. no such luck. He's still recovering from his DRX bender. That's true. He spent the last, <laughs> what, eight days just completely unable to find him naked running somewhere through Korea. <laughs> just um, screaming, Deft! Deft! Yeah. Deft, come back, Alpaca boy, yeah. I love you. Dancing in circles, riding an alpaca, yeah. 
Uh, we're joined today, after this wonderful introduction about all of this, <laughs> and someone who's not even here, we're joined today by the one, the only, Peter Dunn. Peter, thanks for being here. Hello, thanks for inviting me. Uh, also part of the Did Not Finish in Plat. Um, <laughs> <laughs> what is? What is? <laughs> because you finished in Diamond, right? What <laughs> ah, <laughs> you are uh, in the right spot for all this then. Peter, thanks again uh, for joining us. Uh, before we even get started, uh, there's a platform that might be on its way out, it might be dying, but where could people find you now and hopefully in the future? Uh, I think the best way is still Twitter. <laughs> However long it lasts, um, PC Deviator on Twitter. Uh, let's see. Let's see how things go in the next few days. It looks like a very interesting situation because most of League in the West is done through Twitter. So, <laughs> yep. Mm -hmm. oh, I got a question on that though. PCD. What is the C? Because it's Peter Dunn, I assume. What's What's the C stand for? So my full name's Peter Christopher Ernest Monroe Dunn. Ooh. Uh, and Deviator was when I was nine. That was my tag. That was my game attack. Deviator. So PCD Deviate. and Deviator. So that's why. I like it. That is. Fun. I mean, I've had the same handle online for 20 years. I came up with this when I was 13. So I understand. You mean you didn't take the champions Jax and Omen and put them together? Valorant champion nope. Omen? League Jax, champion Jax? Is it your name? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, we've also forcibly changed some of our other co-host names. And by we, I mean me. And by forcibly, I mean Bead Badger into changing his name to Trash Panda. Um, it yes. That actually happened. <laughs> uh, Peter, you changed my name many times. but uh, Yeah, that's true. Justifiably. <laughs> Sir Buttkick was a classic, though, let's be honest. It was. Uh, Peter, you started in 2015 uh, analyst uh, for Ince, is that correct? In the no, actually, I started a bit earlier. Uh, I started back in ooh, 2000. No, 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 sorry, not 20, uh, 20, 2010, 2011. Okay, so uh, the very beginning. Very, very beginning. So, so actually, uh, I started full-time in 2015. So my story is that... Um, Basically, both my parents are diplomats, so I was set from a very young age, uh, basically uh, on the diplomatic path. Uh, you know, <laughs> if esports didn't exist, I'd probably be working in some think tank in Brussels. Well, not Brussels, um, in, London, <laughs> in London right now. Um, but I did my undergraduate in, in London, uh, and then uh, my speciality was going to be uh, EU-China political relations. Um, so I decided that that's where my career was going to go. Uh, I wanted to study my master's from the Chinese perspective to see how, uh, to see, uh, to kind of understand the perspective of people that hopefully I would be talking to in the future. Uh, yeah, I went to China and that's how I kind of got involved in esports, you know. Um, was doing a little bit of sports coaching, a little helping with the football team, the uh, my university's football team, and got introduced to somebody at a dinner. They They said, come and have a talk with have a talk with our team you know not not from a gaming background you know just from a performance background uh, and then i started doing this part-time whilst i was living working studying in china um came back came back to the west um had a year off where basically i was working for hasbro um and then at the end of that year uh, somebody who'd heard about my record uh alexander heibel the coach for intc in brazil basically heard that i heard about what i've been doing in china and um basically asked if i wanted to come to brazil and come and be a, a full-time try esports full time. And, you know, it was supposed to be there for, you know, one year gap year, then that mm -hmm. one year became two years. <laughs> and then, you know, after two years in Brazil, it was okay, I'm definitely retiring now, came mm -hmm. back home. Um, 
uh, to Europe was uh, Marty from Splice uh, reached out and was like, you know, how would you, how would you like to coach Splice? And then that was three more years. <laughs> and then it was, oh, I'm definitely retiring now. And then uh, I ended up going to the US. So, so perpetually in a state of almost retiring. Um, so you're but, uh, definitely retiring now, right? I'm definitely yeah, retiring yep. now. Yeah, with, with, with no team, with no team <clears throat> signed for next year. So it will definitely be a retirement angle. There we go. We look forward to seeing you at spending three years at the next place you're at minimum. Um, yeah, you've actually, sh- you're the child of diplomats and you followed the diplomatic journey of region to region, continent to continent. You've actually literally continent hopped. That's pretty rare. Um, And coming all the way out of Brazil, what the heck was 2015 Brazil like? So it was 2016 Brazil. It was actually, ironically, um, going through many of the issues that North America is going through now. (laughs) Um, So actually, I was on the ITC team in 2016. Um, I don't know if people would remember, but they beat uh, EDG at Worlds. And there's actually a clip of me going off the stage looking furious because uh, one of our other assistant coaches was like congratulating the players and saying, you know, oh, you've done your job, you know, congratulations, people will be remembered forever. And I'm just sitting behind there thinking, this is literally the first game of the tournament. We can get out of groups. And like, I have the worst scowl on my face that you could possibly imagine. Uh, and it was caught by the broadcast. Um, and I didn't realize it uh, until I was looking back at some VODs of the game uh, in the, uh, re- you know, like last year. So, so yeah. Um, what would I say about, about uh, Brazil? Uh, back at the time, um, lots of... <laughs> Lots of teams working against each other, you know, so so that there's two ways you can approach regional strength, right? You can have a region where where um, the teams have each other's back or you can have a region where teams actively look to sabotage each other. Um, you want a good example of teams actively sabotaging each other? Look at the European offseason <laughs> this year and last year where teams refused to sell. Um, but I think one thing that really stood out for me in Brazil back in those days was that there were certain teams that had an understanding that if Brazil wanted to progress as a region, they had to have each other's backs. And I remember one situation where basically INTC, um, so the, the second best team in Brazil at that time, in the first year that I was there, was a team called Pain Gaming. Um, and INTC couldn't go, couldn't go to Worlds early enough, so we had literally nobody to scrim. And they came back off holiday to give us like a week's worth of scrims. Like they've been on holiday for a week, you know, they made sure that they were fresh. And I always remember that. And for me, I remember thinking at the back of my mind, that is that like that that's really impressive stuff. That's right? awesome. Uh, and you know, I've tried in many ways to pay that back over the course of of the last few years. But you know, INTZ and Pain were their fan bases, huge rivals against each other. But you know, still mm-hmm. still had each other's back because they realized this rivalry doesn't matter if the region isn't strong. Um, I've heard that since I left, it kind of turned out a different way. Um, but but you know back in the day there, there there was a lot there was a lot of camaraderie there um, so yeah okay fascinating um, thanks for that I I knew none of that uh, I do I think I saw that clip uh, not even semi recently like a while. Yeah. Uh, Kangas, I don't know if you've got uh, a question right out of the gate, but I kind of wanted to talk with you, Peter, about um, you've already outlined a great uh, timeline of your growth into the coaching role, kind of seemingly thrust into it. But you started as an analyst. 
then became a coach and eventually ended up, were you a head coach? Were you a general manager? What did you see your role as really evolving eventually at EG? Well, it, it depends what you what you call it, right? Because, you know, what a head coach is in Korea is very different to what a head coach is in Europe. is very different to what a head coach is in North America. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I think the best way to describe it is what we often call a head coach in the West uh, has similar responsibilities to what you call a strategic coaching career, right? So when Coma, you know, when Coma was leading those legendary SKT teams to victory, he wasn't the head coach. He was the strategic coach. Um uh, I can't remember the head coach's name off the top of my head, but now Coma has kind of gone up and he's now a head coach. Um, but basically, uh, the head coach is somebody who kind of provides mentorship, is somebody who oversees the entire project, you know, re- helps with conflict resolution whilst doing everything they can to support the strategic coach. But at the end of the day, the strategic coach is responsible for drafting, uh, leading review, um, and those other things. Uh, uh Obviously, the head coach will 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 involve some will have kind of a say in this, um, but because what you call a strategic coach in the east is called a head coach in the west, I've I've done the head coach role and I've done the head of coaching staff role, which is a which is a uh, how should I say a very awkward way of describing you know a, a particular job, but it, it's it's uh, it's the the terminology that 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 was used on Mad Lions and the terminology terminology that was used on EG. So I guess I guess you could say I'm somewhere between a head coach and a strategic coach, uh, but I've worked as an analyst. I've worked as a scout. You know, I've done performance coaching. You know, I've done the whole the whole uh, uh, the whole gauntlet. You know, of, mm-hmm. of responsibilities. Never GM though. Never GM. Never GM. Okay. So really more of the day to day, more of the like coaching specific, what we would all think of as coaching, rather than exactly. the exactly. Papa Smithy. I think more generalized org view correct yeah i i think so although i wouldn't say papa smithy would describe himself as a as a coach more more of a gm but mm-hmm. but you know they, they different orgs have all kinds of different responsibilities for coaching stuff you know and uh you can have a hands-on gm you can have a hands-off gm you know uh on the gm that was that i work with on on mad lines was a person called till verderman and he was you know he he, he handled things for the team well but you know he was always willing to take a back seat to the coaching staff, the scouting and and this kind of thing. Whereas you know on EG, Andrew Barton is at the core of uh, forming EG's identity, right? Like one thing one thing I like to say is that uh, on EG, EG wasn't my project. EG was Andrew's project. I, I was just like, well, uh, I, I was just a, a really good coach that he could trust to help bring up talent. Um, but I don't think that I would have been interested in EG's project as much if it wasn't. Sp- spelt out in the terms that Andrew himself spelt it out, you know, which was to, to develop NA talent and to, to help bring it up and, you know, to help find success on the, the uh, international stage with it. And, you know, it hasn't been the most hundred percent successful, but I hope that those two years helped help meet the objectives that were set, were set back in 2021. You, you touched on something there that I, I wanted to kind of get more clarification on. You said that uh, the head coach and the strategic coach mean different things in Korea, and then you met, referenced uh, Europe and NA. How is it different in your experience between Europe and NA? And and has it gotten any closer in the years? Like maybe it's been some time, so it's now more similar. But is there a difference there? No, I think I think it's kind of the same. Uh, the problem is that that this is really a right enforced terminology because you only got a stipend for your head coach back when when coaching was introduced. You got only got the stipend for the head coach, uh, mm. and then that terminology just stayed for forever. 
I think it. I can't even okay. remember when head coaches started getting getting stipends, but it was what twenty. You mean stipend from Riot, like like for or yeah, from the yeah, league? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so so, sure. so so you get a stipend for all the players, and then you get a stipend for the head coach, but you wouldn't get stipend oh. for any other things. So I think that's where the terminology came from, but I can't remember for the life of me when that started. So, so old Cloud Nine uh, Lemonation just got both, right? You know, he just got the coach stipend <laughs> and the. Yeah, I mean, they just. <laughs> I think they just gave the uh, the coaching stipend just went to the notebook. Um, oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. So I don't know legally uh-huh. how that works exactly, but. If a monkey can own a photograph, I guess uh, the, the notebook's, notebook's kids money. are well set. Let's just put it that way. Yeah. <laughs> notebook Junior's doing well. Yeah, the whole spiral of that family tree. Um, okay, so interestingly enough, all the differences that you've uh, kind of outlined between what each org can kind of do, how Riot has almost even enforced terminology, and yet that still doesn't mean that each org's coaching roles are going to support the exact same um, role, real role within the success of an organization. How specifically for you do you define success based upon how radically different these actual roles can be? Oh, and that, that, that's that, that's a question. Million dollar question, question, right? Yeah. Um, well, um, maybe well, let's that, talk about the difference between EU and NA, right? Because, there we go. That's, that's a great way to do it. Mm-hmm. What I would say is that from my experience of working in EU and talking to EU coaches and things like this, that the head coach role in EU is a much, let's say, much more powerful role, right? It, it has a larger say in roster building. Now, obviously, you know, there's some orgs, you know, Vitality, who have perks on. I'm pretty sure that the players have a very large say in, in the roster building of Vitality. Uh, you know, perks is a very good, would be a very good GM, um, in, in fairness. Um uh, but uh, my experience in EU is generally that the the head coach will have a large say in, in roster construction, will have a large say in uh, in scouting responsibilities, uh, priorities. You know, setting the idea of what the org hope what the org is hoping to achieve, uh, and it's more negotiation, right, between the head coach and the org, and you know, sometimes between the players and the head coach and the org depends on the the very specific team. In NA, I think it's not quite like that. In NA, it's more like the head coach, the GM normally sets the sets the objectives, uh, and then the it's the coach's job to basically fulfill those objectives. And now, obviously, on some teams, there's more of a negotiation. I felt working with Andrew on EG that it was a negotiation, which was nice. Um, but uh, definitely, that's not what I've seen as the norm in in North America. It's really the GM says, this is how we're going to do it, and we're going to do it my way. Um, uh, you know, the, the w- one thing that I've noticed in North America is often coaches are expected to fit in a system and fit in a structure and fit in systems. You know, Cloud9 talk about their systems, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and there's an interesting question about why this is, you know, uh, why, why, why has it been this way? And to be honest, I, I blame Jack. I blame C9 Jack because, <laughs> because Cloud9, <laughs> if you were to ask an NA org who was. Who, who, which org was the best run org in North America? You know, pre-franchising, I would say most people would have said Cloud9, right? Uh, yeah. they, they wouldn't have said TSM. They wouldn't have said uh, uh, CLG. You know, I, I know there's CLG fans in this call. Uh-huh. Um, uh-huh. But, They're but right. I, I think they would have said CLG. <laughs> yeah. I think they would have said C9. And the mm-hmm. fact that C9 has been that team for so long, you know, if you're the top, the most respected team in the region, right? I'm not going to say C9 won a lot of championships. They did win some, right? But, but you know, other orgs have won more. Um I would say that it's once the top team starts to do one thing, 
other teams try to emulate it, right? And that's why I think maybe you have this system that's in place now in North America. Uh, and to be clear, like, you know, we may laugh at other teams' systems, but C9 systems, you know, they did just win a title uh, whilst everyone was memeing their systems. So, you know, they can't be that bad. Uh, <laughs> but uh, it's interesting because not everyone has the kind of, like, Jack has gone on record. You know, he sits in on every scrim. He doesn't say much, right? But he sits in on every scrim. He's there to resolve conflict. He knows, he's he basically lives League of Legends, from what I've heard. Uh, and, you know, maybe not everyone who fulfills a similar role to Jack in building the um, the ideology of the team uh, shares his kind of hands-on experience day-to-day, right, with the team. Um, so I think I think maybe that's an issue there. So maybe things which work for Cloud9 maybe don't work uh, on other orgs as well uh, in the region. Uh, but yeah, th- that's what I would say the biggest difference is uh, within the team. Um, I actually want to go into something there, if you don't mind me jumping in. Go ahead. Uh, there, there's two questions that raises for me. One, if, um, if you could maybe describe, because I actually am not super aware, what the Cloud9 system is in terms of who decides the roster. Because you said something earlier about like, sometimes it's a coach, sometimes it's a GM. How does Cloud9 do it? And based on how Cloud9 does it, if that's kind of what a lot of teams historically have copied in NA, what are the weaknesses of their system and how would you change it? I have literally no idea how C9 build their roster. <laughs> okay, <laughs> all right. <laughs> but, but, but when See. we talk about systems, more what I have in mind is like rules of engagement between coaches and players, you know, how, how you resolve disputes, how you, mm. uh, how your top-down structure functions, right? How you, um, who sets the vision for the team, right? Who sets the, uh, I, you know, um, and obviously, there's some owners, there's some GMs who are very, very vocal about this, right? Like, I, I have a very strong feeling that Steve, you know, at least publicly, the way that he phrases it, is responsible for building TL's roster, right? I don't know if it's the same on Cloud9. Cause... So Team Liquid Steve, not Plat4 Steve, right? Just want to make uh, sure. Because now, yes. now there's multiple Steves in the ecosystem. <laughs> well, I mean, Plat4 Steve, you know, higher, higher, you know. <laughs> Maybe that was him. Maybe it was all about Team Liquid Steve, and we all misinterpreted that. Yeah, maybe, maybe it was about him all the time. <laughs> um, my my immediate reaction when you mentioned that Jack is known to sit in on scrims is the reaction of the players when Jack is sitting in on scrims versus the reaction of players if Reggie wanted to sit in scrims is probably very different. So I wonder how much of that is just Jack's reputation as being a chill dude that enables that Cloud9 environment to work that wouldn't work in other teams because they don't have that reputation built up. Again, hard for me to say I haven't worked on C9 and I haven't worked on TSM, but one thing I would say is that there's always a danger if you are in a position of power to suggest ideas, okay? And um, let's just say that if you're in a position of power and you suggest ideas, your coaching staff will feel under pressure to enforce your ideas. And, you know, it's very rarely the fault of the person who has the idea if the idea doesn't work. Uh, it's normally the fault of implementation or, you know, if you don't follow the idea, you know, it's just a suggestion, mm-hmm. but you don't follow the suggestion, you know, you don't go to Worlds, you know, may, maybe maybe somebody's accountable there. You go to Worlds, you lose at Worlds, you know, oh, if only we'd, we'd done this suggestion, if only we'd done this suggestion earlier, you know, uh, and let's be clear, there's no way you can win this because only one team leaves the leaves the season happy, right? Like mm-hmm. only the world champions, and even then, sometimes the world champions don't don't end the season happy. Every other team in the world is miserable at the end of the year to different degrees of misery, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, it's true. So yeah, yeah, single sum game. 
Um, it's interesting how much this parallels, like, uh, Peter, we talked a little bit about it before the cast, but the footballing world of the owners who are so heavily involved. I'm thinking like Mike Ashley, previously with Newcastle, if you follow Prem League, for those who are listening, uh, versus what you see between in Liverpool, where it's a negotiation clearly between the North American ownership group and the coach needing certain resources or wanting certain things. Then you have the Glazers over in Manchester United saying, hey, we bought this player because people like him. Figure out how to make it work. That sort of thing. You see this everywhere in multi-billion-dollar industries. Yeah, I, I wouldn't want to sidetrack too too far down the fo- soccer football path for your for your NA fans, but I will just give one example, which is there's a very famous situation where Chelsea, uh, who obviously used to be owned by Roman Abramovich, uh, he had a favorite player, Ukrainian player called. Shevchenko, who he signed, the coach didn't want to sign him, the GM didn't want to sign him, but we're basically told, you will sign this guy and you will play this guy, and he wasn't that good. And who who got fired? It was the coach that got fired. It wasn't Shevchenko. Oh. <laughs> so, so bringing that to the League of Legends, what do you think, like, let's, say, let's say we gave you the reins, right? And you are in charge of determining who at an org has the roster say who do you think is the the best like like who should have authority over that from the peter dunn perspective i mean i'm a coach <laughs> yeah it's gonna be <laughs> so, yeah. I mean, <laughs> uh i obviously, mean I, obviously i'm gonna say the coach and i agree with that. i actually I, i've thought this multiple times like if i were uh if i owned an org what's the first hire right well probably a gm but i think a coach is probably the most important it, it might be the most important if you're actually trying to go for a win and like win out the season so the coach is the most accountable right let's be clear you know if you're a gm and you lose you're not necessarily being fired Mm -hmm. right but if you're the head coach and you like underperform or you fail to meet expectations your head is on the chopping block so from my perspective obviously you have all of that accountability you have then you you should have the power to you know at least try your vision you know If, if you don't if you can't do things do things the way that you want and then then and your head is on the chopping block then it's kind of rough uh, it's very very stressful right because you're never clear what what your objectives are and what kind of goals you need to meet right in europe again uh, i'm not to be clear i'm not talking about eg i'm not talking about mad lines i'm not talking about splice you know this is just a general comment um mm-hmm. it's very it's often very very simple it's a case of let's discuss your objectives meet your objectives or get fired if you meet your objectives, great, you get to stay another year, right? And, you know, that may sound a bit cutthroat, but we are in a cutthroat industry, you know? So so if there was ever a phase where an owner had come to me and said, you didn't meet your object, uh, objectives, you're fired, I would, it's never happened to me, but, you know, like I wouldn't hold it against them. Do you th- find, and this could be true of organizations you've worked for, this could be true of just what you understand in the scene, is there at least still a barrier between GM, realistically, really between coaching and, um, how do I say this? Is the focus still purely on success on the rift? Or are you finding or hearing anything about focus shifting to making money, shifting to entertainment, shifting to other things? That's been a concern that's been brought up before. And sometimes not even a concern, but a way for NA to, you know, find success is if they focus on just being entertaining rather than winning. Um, And that would be something that would have to go down to the coach level. Have you noticed anything like that? It seems to me that I haven't seen Jack like that 
It's mostly just orgs can't really, they either don't know how to create winning teams or they can't afford to create winning teams. And that's kind of what's led to poor performance. Oh, that's a really hard question. So it's... <laughs> no. And actually, okay. I think I think that... Um... So obviously, you know, not all teams are playing on a level playing field, right? Like some teams have higher budgets than other teams. Um, but what I would say is that, you know, I think that maybe in North America, teams should be more focused on content and, you know, do more to draw in the fans. Because clearly there's been a disconnect here, right? Because North America has a very large player base. It's just they don't play ranked. And they, uh, you know, it's LCS viewership is going down. But, you know, it's a question... How, what efforts are being made to engage fans, you know? Um, mm. And there's all kinds of ways that this is working better in other regions. Now, I think some of the plans that uh, Jackie Felling, the new commissioner, has coming into next year are actually quite good plans. I know people don't like the movement of the LCS away from weekends to weekdays, but I was in Korea and those places were sold out on weekdays. Like, you know, it's harder to get a ticket for Tuesday night than it is for like Saturday. Uh, you know, it's I almost crazy. missed the opportunity to see a game in uh, Lowell Park because the tickets were just selling just like that, and not even for not even for T like you'd expect it for T one or Dam one, right? But mm -hmm. but for all the games, and you know, I I think that that's there's a reason you know basketball games or baseball games or things like this happen a lot on weekdays, right? Like, well, when's viewer, the UCL? Yeah, when are UCL games? They're during the week. Yeah. Champions League games during the week, playoff games yeah. during the week in NBA, NFL, maybe the only outlier with Sundays only, but yeah. Um, so I think, I think, I think that, that there are ideas, but it's very clear that for whatever reason, uh, um, th there's been a challenge to tell players stories, right? And it's been very easy in the past because, you know, it's double FBX and double FBX and double FBX and for how many years? And then they both retire and, you know, who's there to fill the gap, you know? Mm -hmm. uh, the kings so, of Europe. Come on. Yeah. It, it, I actually have an interesting read on that one. I'm curious your thoughts on it. Uh, I mean, it's a little off the topic of coaching, but the difference between the pros back when League NA, at least pros, a lot of them streamed. A lot of them made their own content, and they were also featured by their teams that got a lot of views. So I think it was much easier for broadcasts to pick up on stories, and they didn't have to invent their own stories. They were given a story that they were amplifying on the broadcast, whereas now the newer generation, or I guess maybe not the newest, but that kind of mid-generation, kind of like Blabber's generation, all the pros that were coming up there, the Palafoxes, the Blabber's, the Doklas. Yeah. They weren't making content. They weren't streaming. They weren't telling us who they were. So then the broadcast had to invent stuff, which I don't think they were equipped to do. Um, that's my take on it, at least. Uh, and now, now that I think they're catching up finally and getting to that point, especially you know, uh, not to toot our own horn, but like the path to LCS and a lot of the academy stuff. That's what our whole focus has been under Kelsey Moser was like who are these people? <laughs> like, let's talk about these players and tell people who they are. Um, and I think that's trickling up to LCS level as well. Do you have any thoughts on that though? Yeah. I mean, I fully agree. Uh, I mean, there, there's clearly people that, that, that uh, need to have their stories told, but also incredibly charismatic, incredibly fun people. Like, uh, let me think of somebody who, who's not an LCS regular. Um, so, so uh, anime goal you know like the mm -hmm. he is he is a natural on on camera you know um uh, and uh that's people like having people like him in the league are good you know sniper who's who's surely going to play lcs when he's old enough you know he mm -hmm. streams all the time shaden streams you know it's uh, a lot of these guys stream and i think that just helps engagement it it 
can't hurt. Um, you know, it raises the interesting question of how many people would Jojo get to watch if he streamed? But at least, you know, at least he's active on Twitter, we'll, we'll say. you know. If uh, Jojo streamed <laughs> regularly, I promise he'd be in the thousands. He would be. He would I, have I, minimum I, I, minimum a thousand viewers per stream. It's it's insane. Nah, nah. He get more. He get he get like yeah. three or four. He he. he uh, yeah. He, he, I can see it. At least at least. But his personality is is absolutely hilarious. He just you know he wants to feel that he's achieved something. Uh uh you know, and the, what what an achievement counts as you know it started as winning LCS and then semi final you know knockout stage of an international tournament and you know maybe maybe it's win worlds and then. It's, you know, win worlds in league and then win worlds in Dota. And then, you know, <laughs> go back to Fortnite. You know, just... Yeah, exactly, exactly. It's like the, what, the pentathlon or pentathlon? Am I saying that right? I know triathlons. Yeah, I think the pentathlon's the 10 in the oh. Olympics, right? Yeah. Something oh, like yeah. Uh, no, pentathlon is five. Um, but yeah, decathlon is five. Decathlon, decathlon, that's but, what I'm thinking. But, but I mean, it's worth saying, you know, since we're talking about JoJo, you know, what did Jojo used to do when he was coming up? You know, as a 12-year-old, he would stream snipe like the top Fortnite players and embarrass them in one-to-ones. Mm. I mean, that's literally what he would do. Um, and it was it was hilarious. Like some of the videos of him <laughs> beating up on these, you know, pro Fortnite players is it's it's really good content. And you know, hopefully he would bring this into league. Obviously, you know, um amongst players, he's he's very uh is respected the word I'm looking for? He's well appreciated. I would there say. There it is. That's a good one. You know, there's, uh, yeah. You know, with uh, I, I don't think we've seen a player with a cult following recently like JoJo's gotten. Like yeah. he, he's got Twitter stands. Yes. I mean, even the Europeans love him. You know, it's yeah. it's insane. It's 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 actually insane. That, um, but it's it's really worth um, the example that I would give is comparing him with Caps, of course, right? Like. Caps, mm-hmm. Caps is respected by by a lot of the Asian and Chinese mid laners, but you would never see some of the things that you know Jojo Jojo inspires uh, in Champions Q or things like this. You know, like they they uh, they enjoy joking around. I would say in a way that maybe <laughs> maybe other other mid laners haven't managed to provoke in in some of the Asian teams that they played against. So. So I think I think yeah, people like him are really good for the league, uh, whether he streams or not, right? Obviously, mm-hmm. uh, we wait for the day when it finally happens. <laughs> the tie... But some of the other guys, some of the other guys are beginning to do it more, right? And I think mm-hmm. I think that's important. And obviously, when 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 you can start fan meets and things like this again because of COVID, I think it will help as well. I mean, that's one of the big things, for better or worse, that esports has always had. You know, you you have accessibility to the pros. Um, in a way that's uh, yeah, in a way that you don't hang conventional sports. To die a lot of this conversation together was the worst decision that the LCS ever made. Getting rid of the ability to see all chat in the professional games. Ooh, ooh. <laughs> uh huh. I'm throwing that out there. What do you think, Peter? Because from my perspective, that shit was so goddamn funny and the fact that yep. i don't get to see jojo harassing his mid lane opponent every single game is such a wasted opportunity mm-hmm. and i hate that because that's a great way you know like i'm thinking okay and i'm bringing this all the way back to football because once again peter i'm just thankful you're here that you even know like what the hell's going on in football i'm looking <laughs> at um jurgen klopp head coach of liverpool and his whole thing was we're gonna play to win but we're gonna play to be attractive like this is gonna look fun as hell 
as we're winning every single game we can. It's harder to do that in league because it's not as wide open a meta. You know, there are specific styles at any given point that will perform better. You can't just play Mm -hmm. wide open league every game, every time, every year and be like, yeah, we're going to keep winning this way unless you're also incredible. You don't you don't see the physical person during the play. You see a champion, right? So you don't get that human effect where the like they score a right? goal and you see their face right like maybe you see the player you cam, but it's different <laughs> yeah yeah but we missed that like there was a way in the game during the live game that people could market themselves even more that teams could show like a personality that kind of exists with the ability to see emotes kind of exists with certain other things but god it was so much more fun to see them like typing at each other jizuke jizuke, jizuke. Was, mm-hmm. was every single you know Absolute class. Um, but I will say that actually, I think this is really a North American thing. Well, I mean, it's it's all the major regions. Thing. So I'm just going to go back to where they're doing it well. Brazil. Like in Brazil, it is socially acceptable if you make a good play to stand up, beat your chest and like yell at the other team. And, <laughs> I mean, it's it's great. I love like Brazilian, Brazilian fans, you know, the, everything around the league in Brazil. They, they, their, their hype video was uh, for this year was hilarious. They had a, a they have a, um, so, so there was a video, uh, a Nike video once upon a time called Write the Future. It's a very famous Nike video, which shows basically footballers playing at the World Cup. And then, you know, it shows there's two paths, you know, either they, they're successful uh, and then some, you know, something amazing happens or, or they fail. And, you know, you have one with Wayne Rooney, he, he misses attack or foul somebody. And then he, it shows him, it, it, his career going into ruins and like he's a groundskeeper you know at the age of 40 kind of living in this trailer and he or, or there's one where where he succeeds and then you see him playing table tennis with roger federer in his massive mansion all the like way babies being called wayne rooney and wayne and things like this right uh, it's hilarious um but brazil they they did that was their promo for this year That's so awesome. in um uh to give an example they had uh they had a player and he's called ranger okay and like uh, the way that he would always respond to criticism or something is he would just say, oh, it's the Ranger way, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and they had him, you know, winning the championship and then he's on TV, you know, Ranger, bodybuilding, Ranger way, W-H-E-Y. Oh, know? that's good. And, oh, that's then, yeah, and it shows him like, you know, but but they do really, really funny stuff like this. Um, but also, it's more. there's more theater around it. And to be honest, I wonder what Fnatic were thinking, you know, when, 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 they're, when they're losing to Loud and Worlds and you see all the players like yelling, cheering, you know, after every single play. And it's that's where we got okay. the uh, bot gap on the uh, arm from. Yeah. We pulled up. Oh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. exactly. You know, oh, it's great. Like, I, I love Brazil. I love Brazil. They, they, they take the game seriously, but they realize that, you know, especially in regular season, it's not just about winning, you know, it's like, mm-hmm. it's about a product. It's about entertainment. It's about entertaining the fans. And, you know, I'm sure some of the purists, you know, esports started in Korea and, you know, in Korea, in StarCraft, if you wrote G, so you're allowed to write GG at the end of the game as a mark of respect, but you type anything else and you're going to get fined. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, sometimes there are many things we can learn from Korea, right? But I'm kind of sad. Maybe as somebody who started working in league full-time in Brazil, you know, that's that's the culture I've grown up. You know, it kind of makes me a bit sad that we we move away a little bit from that. But, you know, I'm sure some of the esports purists would prefer it if the other way, you know. Strap to our seats. The, the, the best part... The best part about Brazil and the fandom is that I believe fandom is infectious in any way. I think that's why, partly why 
CLG chants got so loud because me and Duffy were there screaming our heads off. And then we got other people around us to scream their heads off because they're like, well, they're having fun doing that. So let's let's try it, too. And it, it spreads, right? Like it's infectious. Fandom is infectious. And if you're just a fan of a league and everyone's a fan of the league and has all these uh kind of um you know what's what's what i'm looking for here uh traditions that they do when they're live cheering for their team well, you know the the ritual that's the word the the rituals that you perform for your teams you know that can build so much and that spreads like wildfire because then everybody wants in on that the meme it, is peter aware that you two are the ones who created eg who haha oh yeah oh yes that that was me and duffy actually <laughs> Uh, I'm, I'm also aware that Vulcan didn't like it that much. Yeah, Vulcan <laughs> hated it. I don't know if you're aware of this in particular, but I went uh, back like two weeks after that, and I held up a sign that said "Eg Hoo-Ha-Ha, and I screamed at Vulcan until he saw it. And he looked at me, pointed at me, shook his head, and shook his <laughs> finger at me right before the game. And I just kept nodding. Yep. Yep. <laughs> it was great. Look at what you've done. Mm-hmm. But uh, Elias, that. actually, Elias, uh, Riot producer, he produces the dive. Um, he was the one that came up with uh, I believe in CLG uh, to the same of like, I believe that we will win that kind of uh, delivery. Mm-hmm. And that also spread like wildfire. Like all you need is something to connect to and then get a couple of core fans and then that will spread. I feel like that's what I want to trigger in North America. I want every team to have something special that fans can identify and connect with. Uh and I see that in Brazil. Like when I watch Brazilian esports, I see that kind of passion and that kind of drive from the fans. It's the theater there. Theater is like such a big part of everything. You see it in the football. You see it in CSGO. Uh, you see it in uh, League. Yeah, it's something certainly to learn. I'm going to kind of rein this back in, Peter. Okay, can I do one final thing on Brazil? Absolutely. <laughs> so that's the positive side. But some of the, let's say some of the most brutal games that i've ever seen were brazil turkey games like in in league of legends right and maybe maybe fans of north america don't know this but those like sometimes passion can spill over uh and let me tell you that i've spoken to people in brazil who've gone to play in turkey and there's a special there's a special level of hatred there and you know it's something that just happened in a wild card tournament you know but you can imagine going and playing in like the the stadium in turkey for the international wildcard championship and the entire stadium is like booing you and you know like it's almost like a football game and you know some of those experiences that i heard were you know and that i saw myself and witnessed myself were some of the some of the roughest experiences but also some of the most memorable especially because you know when turkey came uh, in 20, uh, 2016 uh, to Brazil, they got exactly the same treatment that they dished out the previous year. Uh, and it was, it was, it raised the stakes of the game. And I, I, I that's something that I quite like, um, for better or worse, you know. Rivalries. Yeah, pronounced rivalries. Um, okay, uh, this is awesome. Thank you, Peter, for like, such. I mean, we started with like, hey, how did you get started in coaching? And then we spent now, I think, 40 minutes figuring out how to make NA more like Brazil, uh, which is great. It's a good starting spot. Um, I'd love to talk a little bit more. Let's bring it home for a lot of our audience. NA, you started over at Splice. You started with Mad Lions within the Western major region, quote unquote. 
um, ecosystem. Uh, you come on over to EG to help uh, really Andrew Barton, his vision of what uh, Evil Geniuses can be. This organization that came back to League, I believe the same year that you joined, that was their uh, coming back no, party? It was, the, it was the second year. Uh, the the second first year, year was the year they bought Bang and they they paid Cloud9 right. an ungodly amount of money. Yes, oh, right. Um, oh, God, I wanted to forget that. You're right. Um, okay, so after they've corrected the mistakes of yesteryear, <laughs> They bring you in, um, and you start to kind of create what has become potentially. I think you talked about, hey, C9 is heralded as like the long-standing, well-run organization. Based off of what we just saw from Evil Geniuses, especially in the past year, they're looking like they're going to become one of the premium orgs here in North America, hopefully sustainable uh, beyond this year. But we will see. Uh, we'll keep our fingers crossed. Um, as you came to North America, joining the ecosystem, what was the most shocking change? You've already talked a little bit about uh, the differences between Brazil and NA. What about coming from EU to NA? What came what, when you came here? Were you like, oh wow, in both a good way and in a bad way? So what I would say uh, in North America is that things are much more hierarchical than in Europe. Um, what does this mean? Um, it means from a coaching side, um, when I, so when I studied football coaching, um, you know, I was very interested in the Dutch tradition, right? And in the Dutch tradition, even, you know, in the 1970s, you had head coaches of teams like Feyenoord and Ajax, but, you know, players would have a say in strategy, you know, uh, Johan Cruyff was famously, you know, very, very hard to coach as a head coach. You know, it was, it was a diplomatic process. Total football came about, you know, because of this, right? Mm -hmm. um, and that's very similar to, to how I was used to things in Europe, especially on the coaching side, right? Like it was a very flat system. You know, I work with Mac, I work with Duke, I work with Cass, um, obviously all fantastic coaches in their own right, um, but they were in my coaching staff. And the thing I loved about working on Mad Lions is every single day I would come to the office and Mac would have something, Cass would have something, Duke would have something, right? I would have something, you know, we, we, we push each other to get better, right? And this is at the center of my coaching philosophy, right? Like you need, how can you try to build systems for your players to get better if you as a coach are not doing everything you can to get better yourself? Mm -hmm. The one thing that really stood out to me in North America is how much of it was not self-started. I think that was the biggest culture shock and that took me a long time. Like, you know, I got feedback from a lot of coaches afterwards uh, about what kind of they were expecting and, you know, uh, things like this. And a lot of the things which I just took for granted in Europe, which would just happen in the coaching staff, didn't automatically happen in North America. Uh, and, you know, it may, maybe that was just a culture shock. Maybe I didn't have the right leadership style at the start, at least, to understand how to how to work in North America. Um, but I would say that was that was the biggest like culture shock immediately that came across. You know, I was wondering why, why, why I wasn't getting the same experience that I'd experienced in Mad. And you know, by the second year in North America, I, I kind of worked out what needed to be done. Um, the other thing that I noticed in North America, and this is like to be really really clear, this is not an easy thing, is how much the orgs tend to not want to work with each other and my first experience in north america and this has gone public so i can talk in depth about this is tsm 
is this a PG thirteen uh, stream? Go fucking <laughs> yeah, crazy! Swear yeah. Yeah. Just, Go like, crazy! Fucking over EG, right? Like, yeah. and you know the story is public now, but basically TSM agreed to sell EG Lost, um, and then waited until after the transfer window went back on their word in a way that completely messed up EG's entire season, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, because the Lost was brought in with. You know, the roster was built with lost in mind, you know, and luckily Danny stepped up and was able to contribute by by the end of the year. But that spring split was really, really rough. And that that was like a that was basically TSM just screwing over EG, right? Uh, because they couldn't put their own, you know, even if you couldn't fix your own internal issues, don't agree to a transfer and then back out on it. Right. Like, mm-hmm. um, so I would say that that is that was my first experience. The second thing I've noticed in North America is teams very so in Europe. Teams cooperate, right? When they go to international competitions. Now they don't leak scrims, mm-hmm. but when I was working on Splice, you go to an international competition, and one of the first things that you say is you go to a coach on another team and say, "Let's trade scouting reports." Yeah, mm. like I give you a scouting report on Fnatic, you give me a scouting report on Splice, right? Mm-hmm. And it's it's just done, right? Because we realize. So in Europe, it's recognized that if if you know, all the European teams do well, it's better in the future. Now, <laughs> I just said this thing. <laughs> maybe, maybe it was, maybe G2 didn't quite subscribe to this uh, philosophy. Right? <laughs> um, but, but in North America, that just doesn't happen, right? Like it just, the very idea that you would do this or that, you know, you would, you could share information with another team in order to spark a discussion is just, it's, it, it's it's non-existent right and it's better i don't know if it's because na has limited success internationally so there's not as much to go around but just the sheer toxicity you know around the around the environment is is just exhausting uh and you know i i mean i've talked about this before but you know north america is going through a rough patch right we could talk about why this is why north america is going through a rough patch but it's going through a rough patch Mm-hmm. The problem is that when you're going through a rough patch, everyone thinks that they have the solution, right? Like it's just, mm-hmm. we will fix the solution. You know, if only the pros just worked that 5% harder, then we mm. would be China tomorrow, right, you know? Right. Oh no, we, we would be e- Asian tomorrow, right? In yes. the most, as somebody who is half, you know, Chinese, this is incredibly insulting. You know, the idea that that Korea and China are the same, uh, the same ecosystem, that coaching hierarchy, culture is exactly the same. It's insane. And not only is not only are not all Korean teams the same and not all Chinese teams the same, you know, Korea is not the same as China. And uh, sorry, I'm, I, I've got no, some sidetracked. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, okay, so 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 there's a lot of toxicity um in a way that is i mean there's rivalry in europe right Mm -hmm. but it's not the same it's not the same as in north america right like i i I didn't get death threats in in europe i got a couple of death wishes but only like one or two uh, uh, Those are both know, good and, movies. And they were funny. They, I'm, they happy were that, funny. I'm happy to clarify between death wishes and death threats. Death one is I hope you die. The other is I will kill you. <laughs> yeah, the other one is I will kill you. Right? Yeah. Cool. I would say there were four instances in North America where I got like death threats. Now I wasn't actually scared of any of them. Maybe I should have been. Uh, like with with except one. Like there was one guy who was like a. He basically had a gambling account, uh, not 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 Forrest, but like a different person. <laughs> oh, yeah, they clarify that. <laughs> a different person who had a gambling account who like it was messaged, right. <laughs> messaged like some kind of 
like disturbing <laughs> stuff after the game five loss to 100 Thieves. I think maybe he backed EG like quite a lot. And then mm-hmm. we picked Ziggs in the game five. And that's the only time where I was like, mm. uh, but, but the rest, you know, I, I, I never really felt, you know, I never really felt in danger. Right. Yeah. Uh, and even that, you know, it was just, you know, just a bit unsettling. Um, but, but it's just okay to say like KYS, you know, mm-hmm. and people, things like this to, to people in Twitter when they have open DMs and like, I, apparently that's just okay um so 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 that was also that was also a cultural thing that that took time to to get used to um damn not something by the way players right (laughs) yeah and not that's not something you should ever have to get used to like period and that's insane Mm -hmm. that's damn i didn't realize it was that crazy you know i'm just a random coach right imagine Mm -hmm. what if this is what i'm going through imagine what the players are going through absolutely Um, out there on stage yeah, yeah and you know as a coach part of your duty is to shield your players right but like i i i don't even know i don't i can't even guess what my players went through right this year mm-hmm. um what i would say is that the other thing which was culturally very interesting in north america is how quickly news leaks you know like mm-hmm. of internal problems within teams right you you just hear about this you know the one thing that i the one thing i gave an example of uh, on a previous podcast is how um you know when ls was fired you know I, i'm not somebody who socializes i'm not somebody who goes to parties i'm not somebody who really like hangs out on discord except the oracles elixir discord you know uh, which is very um, Shout out to, uh, tim seven tim seven exactly uh, uh the but i still heard from four different people within like 24 hours, 36 hours about what had happened, right? <laughs> uh, um, and, you know, in conventional sports, normally those things are kept internal, you know? Uh, whereas in North America, they're, they're not. Everything leaks, like, immediately. You hear everything. And that was also something that was a big bit of a culture shock as well. Um, the rest of it, I kind of expected it, to be honest, because, you know, I've always dreamed about coaching in North America. You know, it's a bit it's a bit weird to say it, but because North America has all of these issues. But as a as a coach, like mm-hmm. I, I love to coach in different regions. I love to see the different cultures in different regions. And to come to this region where everyone says it's completely unworkable. You know, there's, no <laughs> there's no domestic talent. There's, you know, the league is doomed to fail. You know, I can't imagine a more exciting coaching opportunity than, than that. <laughs> to, come and, to, go, to come and try to prove it wrong. Now, did I succeed or not? Uh, up for debate. Um, but um, what I would say is I was, I was, all of those other things I expected. Um but maybe it was harder to find the solutions than I than I anticipated. Um, but that was only something I learned much much later. Um, mm-hmm. So, speaking of uh, finding the solutions for things, EG had a really good run several times during this last year. Uh, but you've mentioned already some of the struggles you guys went through. What was uh, as an example for everyone who's either looking to get into coaching or just you know from the outside looking in? When you guys were at your lowest moment, did you find something that really helped you get over the hump? Is there a specific thing that you would reach into your bag of tricks for? Was it, hey, we're just going to put our heads down and grind through this impossible situation? I'm thinking particularly, hey, Danny, guess what, baby? You're an LCS player now. Get your butt on in here. What are you What are you doing as Peter Dunn to find success then? Um, I think it's more about scanning and recruiting the right people. Um and I think, you know, there's no secret to the, to this, right? That if you go and sign veterans and you have veterans on your team, 
they're the people that set the culture, right? Mm -hmm. So the first signing that I wanted on EG was a culture signing, right? Like, and that player was Impact, right? Like, mm -hmm. and there's, you know, Impact is a fantastic player. He's still the best top laner in my opinion, but nobody would rank him lower than third uh, mm -hmm. currently. And he's the best all-time top laner. That's not under dispute. But for me, the first the first signing was you've got to sign Impact. If Impact is available, doesn't matter, you know, what you need to be able to do that because impact is going to be the one who's going to set the culture for your players. And if you want to build around youth, you need to have a veteran who is willing to, to be authoritative and also to lead by example. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, if the rumors are that impact is leaving, that's a huge loss to EG um, simply because just ignoring his in-game stuff, just the intangibles he brought out, brings outside the game. Uh, I think that in the West, there's nobody that has more intangibles than Impact, other than you know Perks. Perks obviously is the is the legendary intangibles guy. Um, uh, so, so I would say that a lot of EG success, some of it has been coach coach led, but it's also been the veterans on the team. And if you ask what did I contribute, you know, it was about picking the right people to be culture fits within the system that you know, with the idea that we're going to go youth and we're going to go and develop youth eventually and bring bring them up. You know, there wasn't a time scale for bringing up youth. But if you imagine, you know, there's a world where lost signs for EG, there's no NA players on that roster, you know, on the first NA, on the first NA roster, which um, which is an interesting, is an interesting side story. Um, but it's, you know, you want to develop players out of the public eye and, you know, you want to give them time to, you want to give them time to develop. And obviously Jojo and Danny were ready much, sooner than I think anyone could have anticipated, myself included, right? Because when I came to NA, I was told that these guys are just so far away that it's going to be impossible, and it wasn't impossible, right? It was just, they just needed to be, to be given the shot. Um, once the team, I mean, I don't think EG really suffered that much from having like a darkest moment, um, simply because in Spring Split, we weren't expected to win. So, uh, I mean, the team just grinded like, like nothing. I mean, one thing I've talked about uh, a lot is that in a region, it's the challenging team that should be the teams that are grinding, right? If, you, if you're at the top, there's diminishing returns to, to putting your, to, to, to forcing your, yourself onwards. Um, but, you know, when EG was in the challenging spot, nobody worked harder. Like Jojo played an insane number of champions queue in like the first, I, I, I don't think, I don't think Jojo and Tomio had a waking moment where they weren't in scrims or playing champions queue. <laughs> um, and, you know, he got his first place champions queue in the first split. And you know, good for him. Uh, despite playing Sion, Sion, uh, <laughs> uh, Sion, uh, Inting Sion, <laughs> yes. uh, more than his fair share. I mean, Jojo's a big fan of Inting Sion. Um, oh, but great. like the, um, well, singed at Worlds as well. Mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> that was a pick. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> I was waiting for it. Yeah. Um, yeah, but but you know, this is, and then obviously we went to MSI and. Coming back from MSI, I think the challenges there were were very different. I mean, it you know there was a one day gap from the end of the finals until the EG players had to go to Korea, so there was literally no downtime, uh, and there was a thunderstorm in Houston, which I'm sure Kangas, I, re I remember yep, seeing yep. you at the airport. Or did yep. you manage to get on your flight that night? I did actually. Yeah, yeah, I wasn't even delayed. It was great. Well, so some people didn't even fly out until the the day after, and that meant that they had less than 24 hours turnaround. Um, and then on top of that, there was like five days break after MSI. Um, and then it was content day. 
and you know there was no downtime at all between spring and summer and it was rough on eg it was really really rough you know you felt you could feel the tiredness by the end of the split and maybe finding ways to mit help mitigate burnout i think maybe was that contribution you know obviously there's in-game stuff which uh, you know i can it's very hard to talk about specifics about in-game but maybe out of game stuff it's it's more clear what 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 was being done um i think it's also part of the problem eg had this year is we would just win every scrim like eg's <laughs> scrim win rate is like mm -hmm. i mean the the second best team against eg in scrims is like 66 win rate percent win rate to eg and like there's some teams which we would have 90 percent plus win rate oh, uh, in scrims and to keep people motivated, keep people focused, keep people improving under those circumstances was very, very hard. And it's telling that the there's only ever been one team, to my knowledge, that had this kind of success in scrims. Uh, and that was, of course, Cloud9 2020. And they didn't go to Worlds, right? Um, Even when the split didn't go to Worlds. Yeah. Uh, at the very end. Yeah, yeah. And I think that... that you know, it was very close. You know, we almost lost the TSM, we almost lost the TL, but... The fact that EG got to Worlds and they with a sub and we we managed to beat Mad Lions um, and then get our revenge on G2. I will say it doesn't matter that G2 uh, won seven games in a row against EG because the win streak <laughs> is one win. It says one yeah, win. Yeah, there we go. Somebody beats EG eight times in a row. <laughs> yes, exactly. But but the, but it, you know nobody cares about all the games before. It's only your you're only as good as your last game. Mm -hmm. Agreed. And, yeah. There's something that you touched on there that I actually I want to get your thoughts. I know it's it's a slight tangent, so we don't have to spend too much time on it. But um, the concept of scrims and what value they bring compared to other alternatives to practice. I don't know. You 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 name dropped Forrest earlier. Uh, a lot of people know him as a, a somebody very active on Twitter who does a lot of betting. He's got a whole betting Discord. Um, but he, he is an instigator. But he had an interesting tweet that I, I'm not sure if you caught where he basically said, like, this is how I would run a scrim block. You know, it's it's an hour where you have one positional coach with both top laners from like Academy and LCS or against the other teams. Right. You know, it could be another team that you're scrimming against top laners and a jungler. And the one person's playing weak side, they know they're going to get dove. The other side is meant to set up a way uh, a camp clear into a, a dive and they run the same play like what five times in a row i forget exactly what he said but it was an interesting concept because it was like running drills right like that's what traditional sports do a lot i'm curious your thoughts on takes like that as opposed to doing a full scrim where you play out a game um compared to doing drill type practice instead so I think this kind of thing is valuable in North America, um, simply because in Europe, in any other region except North America, you can grind your way out of a rut, right? Whereas in North America, um, there's ping in solo queue, there's huge queue times and things like this. So often you'll find foreigners, you know, who rely on grinding, um, uh, really struggle when they come to this region. Okay, so so that means you have to be more efficient in terms of your practice. And what drills like this would do is it teaches people to think about the game in a certain way. Right. Uh, to be more efficient with practice, to be uh, to take these lessons into game. Now, in general, in a region like Europe, um, we did something similar like that on Mad Lions in 2020. Right. So, so there were four scrim days, and one of Max's ideas was that uh, we would spend one day a week where we didn't scrim LCS teams. We would just like do VOD review. We would do one-to-one -one coaching you know, do like joint scouting reports. Maybe we, we play two games against an ERL team or something, right? But we didn't scrim LEC teams on that extra day. And having a day like that is very, very valuable. 
Why haven't teams done what Forrest is suggesting? It's because that kind of practice is normally something you you can discuss in theory, but also something that you you know the the laning the one v two and two v two laning is normally something you can learn in solo queue, right? And playing solo sure. queue can often help you in those matchups uh, more. Um, whereas the hardest thing with a group of players is to learn team cohesion, synergy, shot calling, you know, uh, shot calling structures and that kind of thing, which is why I think most teams, more teams haven't adopted it. But I would say that in North America, <laughs> the way that we scrim is not very efficient, um, simply because, you know, if you're scrimming in Europe and one team FFs at five minutes, you know, some you, you don't necessarily count that as a played game. Whereas I've had scrim blocks where teams have been finished after two and a half hours, three hours. Right. And I think EG suffered from that more than most because we would just stomp the enemy yeah, team. Yeah, like you were saying before, they, right? Yeah, <laughs> and then they wouldn't want to play anymore, right? And or worse, or worse, even worse, you would just sit there, you know, your review's done in five minutes, and the other team is there sitting for forty-five. What are they talking about in forty-five minutes? <laughs> And, and name so drop you, peter who who which team did it which team did it you're just sitting there suffering hoping that they're going to come back you know just praying <laughs> that it's going to be over so that you can just do literally anything else with your life instead of just you know so so i think in if you look in china they're much more willing you know level one invade fails redo doesn't matter you know move on yeah. you have a set amount of time but basically teams in north america are much less willing to surrender they're much more willing to drag things on in review. And therefore, I think drills like this in this region are actually, there's more benefit to, than, say, in China. Because in China, you would just drill that, and then you do that play, and then the play works, and maybe the enemy team just surrenders, and okay, fine, then, then you get to try it again the next game, right? So you're not yeah. just playing a set number of, uh, of scrims. So I think, I think that, that's, that that's one thing. The problem... Uh, the only other problem I can see in terms of that is what are you doing something that could be more efficient in set instead, right? So for me, mm -hmm. the most important thing is team fighting, which you there's no other way to do it except to play four games of League of Legends because the practice tool doesn't let you like set up a, a team fight. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Good. I have another question on that. So yeah, I'm gonna say I was, it, but I keep was going. Okay, um but okay, so the practice tool doesn't let you do that. And it's also like just general shot calling, right? Like shot calling, planning, planning ahead. Like this kind of thing is is basically what I feel that scrims, what you're benefiting from scrims, right? By playing out your entire games. Now, hopefully you, you, you manage to retain some of that information. And I'm not saying that drills like this can't work because, you know, I've worked on teams where... Okay, it wasn't quite drilling in the same way that he was describing it, but it was it was very similar. It was like not, sure. uh, um, yeah. Um, but I think I think that that's that that's something that maybe North America can can think about more, um, unless they can find a solution to a common understanding about how to how to do scripts, right? Um, mm -hmm. Uh, but but I mean to give an example, you know, you could just do those drills before scrims. Like I, I've had mid laners. Like uh, I responded to Forrest's um, Forrest's uh, approach by just talking about some of the exercises that I used to. Like I, you know, I'm a mid lane coach, so one of the things that I would sometimes do with mid laners before scrims, three games: Cho'Gath versus you, get 100 CS. It's 102 CS, I think, right? To to be perfect, but you're not allowed to miss three CS. You lose, you miss three CS, you lose. 
otherwise I win, right? Uh, uh, otherwise, <laughs> otherwise you win, right? And it's actually harder harder than it sounds, right? If if your coach is like deliberately trying to mess up your CSing, uh, but that's just something that you don't need to set aside like a full day to do those kind of things. You know, you just do them. Yeah. With scrims, right. It doesn't have to take the place of scrims. It can be in addition to scrims. Right? Mm -hmm. That's how I would say that. Cool. Mangus, you had something you want to hop in with? Or, or I think Jax has been waiting for a while. Jax, hit it. Yeah. yeah. You, you mentioned, like, EG winning scrims all the time and teams, like, not wanting to play scrims against you anymore. And to me, that's wild. Because from my perspective, like, if you're getting your butt kicked in scrims, that shows you how much stuff you have to learn. And, like, this is a great opportunity to, like, find a way to improve. And if you're just stomping everyone, it's like you don't even know if the strategies you're testing are actually good or if you're just better than them. Like, it, it seems like it would be harder to judge how much value you're getting out of the practice. So it is wild to me that it's the teams getting beat that are like, screw this, we're done. And not EG going, we've won all the scrims for the last three hours. I think we've had enough. Yeah. I mean, what I would say to that is, I'm not going to say EG were never frustrated. Like, the worst scrim days other days where they literally spend 45 minutes on on a game that should take like 10 minutes to review because it was over at 15 minutes but they played right. to 35 minutes because they wanted to spend the entire game practicing for 15k goal down with their early game <laughs> like i mean it's just such you a practice against the lpl teams right <laughs> <laughs> yeah yep. uh, so I, i'm not gonna say there was never any frustration I've, but but yeah i mean that was very very surprising and it's also like you can tell if somebody just you can tell if somebody's mental just breaks at the script. Like you, you could tell they, it's just, I'm not going to call out anyone, but there were some players on certain other teams that didn't have the strongest uh, mental. So, you know, you wouldn't want to beat them too hard in the first scrim because you, you wouldn't get a good day of scrims from that particular player. It was very rarely a specific team. Gardok uh, was already retired. Yeah. I'm, just, I'm just making the just, yeah, yeah, some just, just, just checking, just checking. Um, but but no, but from from our side, like, okay, so the one team in spring that really really could make us suffer a lot was Tia, right? And obviously Hansama came in, and Hansama called JJ as a bot lane were freaking good in scrims. But you know, we we sat it out, we took our hits, and you know, we had a day maybe where we go one four, and you know, we. Thank you. Can we have another? You know, and it was very surprising when EG were like the top dogs. You would normally expect other teams to want to scrim you more and to want to yeah. push you more. Uh, yeah. Um, and I would say that that sometimes didn't happen, right? Um, I'm not going to call out names, but what I will, I, I'll be positive, right? And the positive mm -hmm. thing I always say is that, you know, TL and CLG were were pretty hardworking in scrims, and I very oh. rarely saw their their mental collapse right uh in ways that maybe you saw from other teams um so that's good for but TL neither of them went to world you know concerned. so maybe they had the wrong strategy yeah right yeah. <laughs> we needed to form a scrim worlds and maybe we could have made it there as a clg fan <laughs> um mongoose you had something you wanted to ask yeah i want to touch on kind of the um practice tool uh sort of environment and if it would I mean, it obviously would change a lot coming into professional play if you were able to create scenarios and basically run the same play over and over and over and just be able to adjust the gold, adjust the items, things like that. Because we see it in traditional sports for practice. Um, they're able to just run the same play over and over and over and kind of get it down. Um, and even so, so in uh, games like CSGO, I think they've created an environment where they can 
basically uh make make uh the environment exactly how they want it to be so i'm just curious how if teams would actually use something like that in league if you would able be able to create set instances as opposed to having to play full games over and over um because with the invade thing people invade it goes wrong they remake the game but if you could create moments like that that are later in the game where you could just keep retrying it, retrying it, retrying it, how much that would impact not necessarily NA, but just pro play as a, as a whole. Would be hugely beneficial. Um, I mean, one of the things, uh, one of the issues, so, so I didn't go on the specifics of this, but one of the issues, one of my issues with what Forrest is describing, you know, where you practice the dive over and over and over again. Sure, that stuff can be done. Like, I don't think you need to devote a whole day to doing it, right? But the problem with a play, a dive like that is, if all you're doing is grinding that dive, the enemy jungler is going to be there. You know, he's he's eventually going to be there, and that's not realistic for the game, right? Like, if I've, you know, I've sat in scrims in Europe where it's very obvious that they're practicing something, and I've just gone to my players, look, they're really obviously practicing this thing today. Like, they're going to do it. They've done it three games in a row. They're going to do it this next game. So just, <laughs> what do we want to do about this, right? Do you want to, like, let them practice? And normally the answer is, well, no. yeah. <laughs> no, we're going to be there with four people on the dive, and they're going to go <laughs> to the dive, and we're going to go and kill them. And ah, um, going to 5v5 top lane tier one at level two. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, like this, but but this this is the problem with the early game dive, right? Because whether or not you go for a very specific early game dive, how risky it is, whether you want to go for it or something, is defined by how the enemy jungle plays. And there's a high, like you're always kind of um, playing high risk, right? Um, and, you know, being able to play out whether the dive works or not is, I think, important. But, you know, if if I had a practice tool, the thing that I would really, as you described, the thing that I would do is I would go set the timer to 20 minutes, have third Drake be be spawning in one and a half minutes, have pe people coming out of base and then playing from there. Right? So you have to practice your dragon setup. You have to decide what you're going to do with top lane wave, right? Um, mm -hmm. You know, uh, and get into a team fight scenario. Right? I think that would be useful. Uh, but to be honest, the early dive stuff, I don't think you need to like, do that instead of scrims. You just do it in addition to scrims if you want, and it's half an hour to an hour's work to practice a particular matchup. Uh, in my opinion, right? Uh, I don't think that, you know. Would that not be like a great benefit of what previously was the sister team concept, and mm -hmm. kind of has evolved into now the academy team sort of idea, where you could practice all this stuff in house, not necessarily with the best of the best, but you don't need to scrim the best of the best to practice drills right when you're practicing you know any sport it isn't really that relevant whether or not you're playing against Shaq or you're playing against you know a six foot tall kid it's all about can you do that particular thing consistently enough to do it to replicate it when you need to yeah but i mean the thing is if you're practicing a play against a six-year-old kid and it works every single time you can't then go <laughs> yeah <on. laughs> that's, that's a good point <laughs> but uh, okay so so the question is how are you using your sister team right um, so fact number one, okay, academy teams and LCS teams, there's a big, big gap, right? Like, you know, if EG are beating, I'm not going to call out, if EG are beating like top LCS teams 80% of the time, how often do you think an academy team is going to have a chance? How often do you think the academy team is even going to get to 15 minutes without the game ending, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So issue number one. So 
then the question is, if you want to drill with your academy team, you have three issues. Number one, academy plays during the week, right? So it has to be on a day where they're not playing, uh, which is basically one day a week, okay? Mm -hmm. uh, issue number two, um, are you giving up a day of scrims in order to do these drills, right? Because if your scrim practice isn't valuable, are you giving up a day to do these drills? Issue number three, if you're not giving up a day to do these drills, then what are you having your academy team do, right? So I've spoken about like 45 minute reviews. There's an interesting question there, which is why not do your review in 10 minutes and then go and drill with the academy team? Well, the problem is then you're just forcing people to just sit in the office, not knowing when they're going to need to play next. Uh, you know, and it's a bit rough on that regard, right? I mean, you can, you are paying them, so you can force them to do it, but I'm pretty sure they will hate your guts <laughs> if you make them do it. So, You're so the question sit here for four hours and play 20 minutes of video games. Yeah, 20 minutes. Uh, and you can't even go into solo queue because, you know, you may be needed at five minutes notice, which you could do. I mean, it's not impossible. You can do. But but then but I think that's the major issue in North America. Right. Um, is it is it different to the EU? Well, frankly, yes, because uh, I'll, I'll be honest, if you want to go in, there's a lot of very good scrim partners in the RLs. And they're much, you know, they really want LEC scrims. So, you know, you, you can get them to not do anything you want, but like you can get them to do quite a lot of what you want and still mm -hmm. get good practice, right? Uh, with those ERL teams, whereas you can't really do that. Like the problem is that there's such a large gap between Academy and top of LCS that I think it would be very, very hard. And I mean, you could do it, right? But But again, I think the best way to do it would be before or after scrims, uh, rather than rather than in instead of a full day of scrims, uh, mm -hmm. and uh, you know you could you could do exercises like that multiple times a week um, if you wanted, right? But I, I would uh, never do it instead of scrims. To be clear, I I, I want to add I have heard this is not uh, I I don't want to say like this with a extreme level of confidence, but um, my roommate uh, Mazelle LPL caster has told me that in China the Chinese server they have practice tool multiplayer. So the practice tool itself, you can load in with multiple people and they can have a little bit more agency and control over how much gold do you have? How many items do you have? And they actually do run scrims for their LDL, the developmental leagues. Huh. And that is something that's a little more common there. Um, but that's just something that their server has that our server doesn't. Our server practice tool, I believe you can only load in with one person. Yep. But over there, you can load in with a 5v5. So they can actually set up drills themselves and that doesn't seem like it would be that hard for like the North American servers to implement. Like, like if we already have a groundwork over in China of how to do that, plus we already have the practice tool server. I mean, I mean obviously I'm not an engineer, <laughs> but I, I, it, I feel right? like it would be like that <laughs> difficult to say like, hey, let's just do this. But at the same time, how many people would utilize it? Is it just something for the teams? Because that's something that's like a business decision at that point. Like how many resources they want to commit to it? So I would say as a coach, that would be something that would be used. Like, uh, and I mean this yeah. specifically for Baron setups, right? Like if you want to train Baron setups, here's how it goes. You do you, uh, on a team like EG, I'm not going to say specifically EG, I'm not calling out any names, just to be clear. Like you do a presentation at the start of the day. You say, okay, we're going to do this Baron setup, right? You smash the enemy team. They surrender before 20 minutes three times. Um, you know, the fourth time, they just they just send five people. In a, they're so tilted that they send five people face-checking in a way that's obviously not good. Uh, and then the fifth game, you know, it 
you have a really, really awful early game because they do like a level one cheese and then you never get into a situation where you can bait Baron and then good job with your presentation, you know? <laughs> like, yeah. why are you doing that? And this kind it's of thing... Not like, from experience, this has never happened. Yeah. No, this has never happened. Uh, but Baron, Dragon, Baron and Dragon setups, like being able to fast forward to 20 minutes, like that would, like I would and, use that. And in practice tool, if you fail or if you succeed, either way, you're still in the practice tool. You could say, run it again. Everyone set your golden items back to whatever it was, your levels back to whatever it was, run the drill again. Like that's the type of thing where I feel like those in practice tool, you can do that. You can actually go backwards. So even if you win a fight, you could just reset the same play and be like, all right, we're going to play that over like three times and see what changes each time. No, I, I agree. I think there's a difficulty with, so there's also less downtime, right? Like part of the problem with the with the third wave dive or fourth wave dive that you want to practice is that think about how much downtime there is for essentially 20 seconds of practice, right? You're practicing pushing your mid wave in, you're practicing stacking the wave, and then you're practicing the dive itself, right? But in order to get that, you have to play, you have to load into the game. You have to like quit the pre, you know, quit the previous game, load into the game, play three and a half minutes of pointless time and then you get like 15 to 20 seconds worth of practice where maybe somebody just misclicks the button okay and then you just wasted it so essentially mm. you've wasted you know five minutes practice and you know yes wasting five minutes practice isn't that isn't the end of the world but it's not like ideal you know mm. if that makes sense um uh, and there can be a lot of frustration uh in that kind of area so 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 yeah i, I agree you know I, I would love to have those kind of tools um yeah i don't want to say cool. Right. <laughs> it confirms na will win worlds if we get multiplayer practice tool uh mongoose before you can respond uh, i believe you had some yeah i just want to add like one more thing because it's something that happens in like chess um where they have set scenarios where people will make like a scenario that you know there's this many pieces left or things like that um how how beneficial would it be if people could make scenarios for league like that um, and then having just it for for everyone, not not necessarily just pros or um, people who are higher end on the ladder, but just you have this specific Baron set up. Things are already set up the way that they're going to be. The waves are at a certain position and you have, let's say, like five minutes of play where it's from the start to the finish. You can change like what champions you are, um, but you just have these set scenarios where it's you could run it over and over and over and it would be the same, but it would be someone creating the situation that you can just run over and over and over without having to spend a certain amount of time to get there. So I think it would be useful, but I think it would be better to just start from a neutral scenario, right? Because if it's a specific set scenario, you're kind of metagaming, right? Because yeah. you, you know where the wards are, you know where the, you know, you know where the enemy champions are placed at the start. So I think for me, it would be better to have a neutral scenario. Uh, the kind of thing that the kind of drills that I would run would be something like dragon spawns in two minutes or dragon spawns in three minutes. Uh, you know, you have this amount of gold, uneven amount of gold, maybe, um, you know, may, maybe one person on each team is stronger. How are you going to play around this guy to go and get your vision? right? Uh, mm -hmm. And that's the kind of way that I would do it. Uh, but I wouldn't necessarily do something where the setup is already there, if that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, it's Mongus, it's interesting that you say that because somebody that I know Peter has worked with, uh, Jensen Go, uh, who I'm actually um, friends with, uh, he's over at Maryville University right now coaching the collegiate team. Something that he's done 
is he will give screenshots of a game from a team's perspective and then ask his players, what do we do from this position? What does the support need to do? What does the top laner need to do? What are we setting up for? And then he asks all of them like on this kind of list and they all write down their answers and then they go over their answers together to say, were we all on the same page? <laughs> did we all have different priorities? You know, like what did we agree on? What did we disagree on? And how were we trying to reach that? Is that kind of what you were getting at mongoose? Cause that's, that's what it sounded like to me. Sort of like that. But instead of like, you would have your team like run it over and over, but you would like play against different groups of people who wouldn't necessarily have to be like a full five man pro team. Um, just to run that scenario kind of in a different, manner each time just to get practice running like a baron setup or things like that um but but sort of sort of similar to the screenshot um situation okay interesting this is something that exists in other like video games so for yeah. instance fifa for those of you familiar with fifa there is a whole challenge system and there has been for a while where it will actually say hey you're ronaldo you're down three goals for the portuguese national team in the world cup final you've got 45 minutes what are you gonna do and like that's a very standard thing that's almost something that exists in like as actual full game components for other games as well it's like yeah you're dropped into a scenario figure it out you've got this at your disposal this is what you're up against good luck but i don't know interesting idea i kind of like the idea behind it i don't i see peter's perspective as well which is uh you just end up metagaming it right if you're not playing full out to the end of the game and you're just dropped into one scenario and you're told win the scenario, it's a lot easier just focus on this particular thing without the idea of, okay, how does this actually translate into everything else that needs to happen to win and knock down a nexus in a real life scenario? Yeah, the, 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 the Jensen Go thing is something that I've done before and that is actually, is actually useful, especially on rookie teams. Um, is it useful for that reason of like getting everyone on the same page? Or it's it... useful for getting everyone on the same page, but also forcing quieter players on the team to actually have an opinion. Sure. Uh, normally, the way that I've done it, though, is you split the team into two groups, one group of three and one group of two, uh, and then you have them discuss it amongst themselves, and then they they don't come, you know, there's group responsibility, right? I, I Rather than having five people stand in a line and saying, you know, what do you think? What do you think, player A? What do you think, player B? You know, do you agree with him? Do you agree? Um are we making him jump off the uh no um, uh but you know you, you split it you split it between three and two and then then you know at least you have some amount of you know if you give such a ridiculous answer at least you have an amount of oh it wasn't just me it shared accountability <laughs> <laughs> that's one way to do it um all right i'm gonna kind of rein it back in we're gonna bring it back to like the ideas that we had before uh peter you're on the show um, I, something that we've talked a lot about is something that you've already mentioned so many, um, different, uh, things about already, which we'd like to focus as North American players, uh, as North American fans in general on the players. Those are the ones who are in front of us. Those are the ones we see. Those are the ones who, you know, live and breathe the game. And we watch live and die on screen and go on to win worlds or not. Um, but something that we've really focused on, especially the last two years has been, what the heck is North American coaching staff doing? And you've talked a little bit about this. Um, what is wrong in a general sense? Is there something severely wrong with the way North American coaching and front office staff is set up? Or is it so 
team specific? Is it so org specific? Are we just completely missing the mark with people we hire and elevate, et cetera? Is it something that's not even a big part of the actual problem, et cetera? What do you think? Ooh, okay, so I'm going to just say it out loud. Like, I think that basically coaches in North America are pretty bad um, by international standards. Uh, why do I think this is? Um, so basically, everyone who comes up to join the LEC or joins the LCS starts bad, right? Like, you just don't have that level of experience. But the problem is, I mean, not awful, right? Like, I don't mean zero out of 10, but, you know, I, you're not going to come in immediately and be the best coach in the world, right? Like, mm -hmm. when, you, when you make that step up. The problem that you have in North America, though, is it's very hard for a coach, a new coach, let's say somebody who decides they want to coach, not an expo player, right? You know, they, they, have, a, they have a similar background to, to myself, you know, maybe conventional sports. They want to get better at the game. They want to get better at coaching. There's no route available for them. Like in Europe, it's very easy, right? You you go you go and be an analyst on a you know Belgian team or or a Greek team or something right like this. You know maybe you get your first job opportunity at the second division French team. You know then you work your way up to first division French or Spanish league or maybe German league. Then you know you prove yourself there. You then go to LCS, right? Perfect example of this. Crusher, new Fnatic coach. Um, nobody's heard of him. Uh, well, most Fnatic fans haven't heard of him, but this is a guy who worked his way up through the Portuguese league on like arguably the best team in Portugal, but he got recruited because he was the best coach in Portugal. Went to a low budget um, Spanish team, had tons of success there. Went to Fnatic Team Queso, um, high budget Spanish team, had more success there. Then got his, got his chance, right? By working his way up through the system. There's no way you can do that in North America. There's just no way. Even if you, even with the current proven ground system, so not the one for next year, but the the current one, there is literally no way for you to work full time as an amateur coach, right? Like, there's just yeah. you just don't get paid money, right? Like, uh, so most people are doing it part time. Okay. The problem is that you know having real coaching experience, you know, coaching actual players. Um, and making mistakes in that kind of an area is an important part for growth and self-development, right? But you can't afford to make... You can't, there's no way, safe space for you to make mistakes as a coach. And that, that, that encourages a very risk-averse way of, of improving, and that basically makes it so that you can only duplicate, right? What, what, what other people have told you, what other people have seen. Um... And I think it's, you know, yes, there's, you know, the level is not very high, but how do you improve the level? And, you know, if somebody yeah. asked me, you know, I'm stuck here, I've had success in amateur, what can I do? My advice is, and I can't get into academy, right? My advice is often, you know, look at minor regions, look at ERLs, mm -hmm. right? Because mm -hmm. there's, it's very, very hard to break in uh, to the to the setup. Now, maybe the new, the new Proving Grounds, well, whatever it's called, the challenger circuit you know knackle it's salt that's how i remember oh okay yeah. <laughs> maybe that creates opportunities for people to um for people to actually earn a living coaching and but then even those positions are going to be really really um restricted right um six teams that are amateur, well i i'm right? curious because because you got to work with legendary who i know was a very 
young coach and new coach in the scene, or at least he was on yeah. Evil Geniuses ZZ Academy. Yeah. ZZ Legendary. Yeah, I don't know if you worked directly with him, but yeah, yeah. is is his journey kind of the standard journey you think for like North American coaches? I mean, to be honest, we did an open application process, and there were five good people, and he was one of the five good people. <laughs> okay. I mean, like we did an open application process, and there were three hundred plus applications. And I'm going to be honest, like. Uh, I, I didn't do the initial screening because I was sent. Uh, I was told to go and take a break, um, <laughs> in, in, in the nicest way, you know. Like uh, I, I was basically told, you know, go and have a rest. You know, it's important that you take a break. Um, so Kelsey actually did the screening, and it's from the sounds of it, it sounded like, you know, only seventy-five people to a hundred people actually submitted proper CVs and portfolios of work. Ooh, <laughs> that, that's that's par for the course by the way just in hiring period like that's what Which i've had to wait sad, you know yes. i mean you need a portfolio you need like a proper cv to be able to get a normal job right yeah um, that's true even down to like the fast food level like half the people won't fill out the job application they'll put their name on it sign it and give it to you and it's like yeah hello <laughs> uh, so so i i mean and obviously like i've talked you know i won't talk in depth about eg's interview process but basically there's three rounds of interviews and it's very very rigorous right there's a screening interview there's a coaching interview and there's a case study interview and you know it's like taking a you know it's like taking a civil service exam you know in 16th century china or something like this it's really really tough uh and you know the idea is to just see who who's capable of handling it right um and he was good he he did very well in the the uh, the interview process, but you know even he he didn't have any experience you know coaching teams before. And I'll be honest, yeah, in Spring Split he wasn't a very good coach. I'm going to be honest, like sure he, he made a lot of mistakes in Spring Split, and I thought he got better in summer. I, I thought like he learned a lot. You know, if I'd been on EG, you know, I I think that I think he would have been a decent academy coach this year. Um, uh, so. So, so to me, I, well, what what I was mostly getting at is how, from what you've seen so far, yeah. is that what coaches should expect? Like coaches that are trying to become coaches is like look at ZZ Legendary's journey as like that's the best case scenario where you actually get on an academy team and you yeah. get the opportunity to coach because there's not a lot of other opportunities. But, but the problem is he's not on EG anymore. Okay. Um, I mean, yeah, like, he didn't get that opportunity to have failure, yeah, right? You know, like I mean, you were saying before. And I mean, like, you can't, in the same way that when you sign a rookie player, you can't expect that guy to be perfect immediately. You know, <laughs> I've got to be careful here. Um, like, you know, <laughs> as a coach, you need opportunities to to build your experience and build your portfolio, right? Uh, otherwise, yeah. how can you be a good coach, right? Like, you, the only way you can learn is through duplication. And you know, the way that we punish mistakes in North America is is brutal i mean you know even on the playing side you know you look at jizuke jizuke was flamed to the ends of the earth right for for multiple years um uh well not for for multiple splits sorry uh before people fully began to appreciate what a what a charismatic and great guy he was right like um but but the problem is there's so few coaching positions so many people who who think they can coach some of those guys can some of them can't right um <laughs> Um, but the, uh, if you don't get an opportunity to, to take risks and, you know, you know, that this can be your last split at any single moment, then it encourages risk adverse approaches. And, 
You know, I, I think that this is one of the reasons why North America had that academy issue for such a long time, right? Where academy teams were yeah. just veterans, right? Because if you are an academy coach and you know that you could be fired if your results aren't good, why wouldn't you just, you know, hire vet, tons of veterans for your academy team? Say, I want academy, you know? You have an open coaching job in the LCS. I just had a really good result in academy. You know, maybe you should hire me as, you know, the best academy coach um, instead of actually using academy for what it was for. Right? And yeah. I think that that's, uh, again, you can blame coaches for this, but I think it's the incentive structure of the region, right, that, that leads to this kind of decision making. Um, and I don't have a solution. Right? <laughs> like, I, I just don't. And uh, mm. short of... You know, back in the day, you know, Alexander Heibel, the INTZ coach, he, he was in he was in Brazil because he couldn't get an opportunity in North America, right? Mm -hmm. And then he got an opportunity. Then he left Brazil to go and work with TSN, was there for less than a split, and then has spent the rest of his career in, in Brazil. I haven't asked him what happened on TSN, but clearly he saw enough. Uh, to, <laughs> to, to never want to come back to North America. I'm fucking out of here. <laughs> uh, so um, he had a pretty good career in Brazil, in fairness. So, um, but uh, but yeah. I mean, I just say it's very, very hard to break in. Um, and, you know, it, that's all I have to say, you know. Yeah. At the, hey, and, and I appreciate just the insight right there. And yeah. I, I didn't mean to like name drop ZZ Legendary in order to like put him in a bad light. It was just because that's the the newest, youngest coach that I knew from Academy from this last year that like didn't have, other than Deos, I guess, at Dignitas. He, he kind of had a similar story where he didn't really have a lot of coaching experience and he was coming in. I mean, and to be clear on ZZ, like I think that he was, he like he had a lot to learn in spring, but by summer, I think he's top five Academy coach, like maybe even higher, right? Yeah. Uh, but I say top five because it's very safe, but maybe even top three. But his, but you know, I, I, I can't judge what, what exactly was the decision-making process behind it because I'm not involved, right? So, um, but yeah, you know. Peter, what is NA doing well? What is one thing that NA is actually doing well? Give us something. <laughs> Champions Q. Champions Q is a really good idea. Um, nice. New proving grounds format is good. Um, the problem NA has is I think this is the big major disconnect that fans have with the actual situation. You know, fans love to go and call top pros lazy. They love to go and flame them. They say, you know, oh, you don't deserve this. But the question is, who is coming up to take their place, right? Because if they're that bad, who's coming up to take their place? You know, I saw a very interesting post on Reddit the other day, which was going and saying, oh, you look, NA pros don't give a, sh don't give a shit. You know, look at the top rankings on solo queue. How many of those guys are, are NA pros, right? And my, my answer to that question is, why are those guys not pros? You know, if it was in Europe or if it was in Korea, you see a guy top 10 on the ladder, that guy's getting a shot in academy, right? He's getting mm -hmm. a shot in academy and he will maintain his solo queue ranking. So it's not that like the pro is late. It's not, it's the wrong, wrong way around, right? It's like mm -hmm. this guy who's at the top of the ladder would therefore be a pro, right? Uh, and then he would keep his spot on the top of the ladder. It's not like somebody becomes a pro and then they suddenly just become really, really lazy, right? That, that's, that's not the process, right? So the question then becomes, how, how do you allow these guys in a system that, that naturally predisposes people away from taking risk, especially coaches, right? Or, and orgs as well, right? You, because you don't want to take, because the, the system, the structure takes away, uh, uh, dissuades people from taking risk. Like, 
how how do you how do those guys get make a name for themselves? And the the change to the proving grounds format was really good, right? That that was one step, but there's no money there, right? So you can't do that full time. So those people are already at a disadvantage, and you know amateur staffs are like they're nothing compared to to LCS staffs, right? You, to academy staffs, right? So it's very very difficult. You're playing in a massive disadvantage. And whenever amateur teams did well at proving grounds, that was you know except for the first split. That was the norm. But the first split where all those amateur teams like did super, super well showed you how messed up the system was, right? Because, you know, there's no world where EG Prodigies and no organ, I'm forgetting one, who am I forgetting? Barrage? Was it Barrage? Okay, Barrage, well, yeah, Barrage, Barrage made top Barrage. six. Yeah, exactly. Like, they're all making top six, right? That shows that some things are really, really messed up. Uh, and APA things- still not signed. Like, like there's so APA many players that have... A- APA is still not on Academy. I mean, he should be this next year, though. That's the yeah, thing. Uh, I know, especially after the Team Liquid Combine that just happened. But like There's players no like way. APA are pretty common in North America. They've been around for a long time. Twenty-three. They've been proven, you know, quantities on the solo queue ladder in amateur, in collegiate, and teams just don't sign them, and it's just crazy. But it's the same thing with Five Fire, right? Like Five Fire. Yeah, exactly. Right? Like, mm-hmm. you know, uh, again, I, I think I've mentioned this before. Like, we spoke to Five Fire about bringing him t- into Academy in Europe, right? And you're telling me that there's not, a, and we couldn't do it because of COVID, like lo- lots of complicated stuff, right? But you're sure. telling me that there's not a single NA org that's willing to give this guy like a proper shot in Academy? He had a shot in Academy on EG. He right? had like four uh, accounts in top 100 of Challenger. Like, yeah. four, like, it's insane. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, what, what, what message are you sending to your upcoming players, right? Yeah, you know, if you're high in solo, the incentive to grind? Yeah, like, like screw that, go stream. You know, that's what mm-hmm. that's that's what you're telling your your potential future pros, um, and that's that's a problem, right? Um, yeah. Now, if you're asking what is NA doing well, they finally taken steps to adjust to fix this, right? That's what Champions <laughs> Q is. I mean, I don't think Champions Q is perfect. I think there's issues with Champions Q, uh, which, which you know, we could talk about Champions Q for hours. Um, but there's issue with the proving rounds circuit. But at least, you know, those players are being acknowledged. At least somebody like I'm just trying to think of. Um, at least people know who Zamudo is, right? Mm-hmm. If yeah, Zamudo yeah. was like, if this was three years ago, nobody would know who Zamudo was. They'd be like, who's that random in in solo queue? Actually, that was Jojo. You know, <laughs> who's that random mm-hmm. in solo queue? Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, that was Shiro. Then, yeah, Shiro exactly. Um, Shiro is Danny for for the it, yeah, aka Danny, yeah. Um, but but yeah, those guys, you know, it's all about believing in them and giving them a shot, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, like, I mean, one of the one of the saddest things for me in this off season is that it doesn't seem like Copy is a on C nine and b. Anyway, does he have an LCS team? I mean, who not knows, that we've right? heard. Yeah. Um, it. Yeah. So. No, uh, according to Jack, he's really uh, LCS ready, and anybody can message Jack uh, for a personal recommendation. Yeah. Um, but not not C9 ready, to be clear. He's LCS yeah, he's ready, not C9 but ready. not C9 ready. <laughs> but, so. but I mean, I, I personally find that very, very distressing, right? I look at how tenacity is treated. I look at how... So Busio is the golden child, right? So like Busio mm-hmm. is... like he, He's going to be fine, right? But <laughs> the way that people treat rookies in this region is ridiculous, right? And I remember one of the things which was the most disheartened. So I love Azale, right? Like I talk to Azale all the time about uh, about League of Legends. You know, we have some good banter. You know, I, I I respect him a lot, right? But one of the things which always stuck in my mind is he did a tweet saying, "How long? How long will JoJo have 
how, how many, how, how long will Jojo have before people start calling for Jensen? Right? He, he tweeted mm. something like this. I, I can't remember exactly was, you know, how many bad weeks is he allowed to have before, before EG bringing Jensen? And I was just sitting there thinking, I mean, he's going to get the year, right? Like you wouldn't promote, you wouldn't promote a guy like this unless you're going to literally give him a year. And, you know, like if Jojo had had a bad year, you know, maybe I would, but I say, maybe I wouldn't be, a, I'm not on EG if he had a good year, right? <laughs> you understand what I mean, right? Like, yeah, yeah, you know, like if that's a gamble, but who is willing to go and stick their neck out like that for, for players, right? Especially because mm-hmm. you do that and you're wrong and you never get another job again, right? And, and this is from the coaching side, right? Yeah, it's me, crazy like, how okay, looking back at the start of the year almost, you think of the original announcement, hey, it's going to be Danny and JoJo. Some people are like, why isn't it double-lifted Jensen? Why isn't yeah, it this? Man. People like, EG's giving the rookies a chance, which is something everybody's been calling for, and mm. now there's so much blowback. Yep. And, you know, it's people want to see, people want to see their favorite players play. You know? Mm-hmm. So, I mean... I, I think I still hold that EG doing that in a way has saved NA. Their, their willingness to commit to that. And Peter, this is part to, to, to your credit as well. The willingness to commit to two players that are so young rather than buckling under the pressure of signing two established veterans that bring in brand value, bring in name value, bring in fans, bring in stream numbers, right? Like all those are real and like should have been factored into the decision, but the willingness to stick with two rookies. And I think we can say that was the correct choice based on how things shook out winning spring splits, still making worlds, even with, you know, what happened at the end of the summer split. I, I just, I feel like that changed the narrative for uh, maybe not all, but a good portion of NA fans where now people are excited for rookies coming in. Cause before it was like Niles, and he, he was a rookie, and it didn't work yeah, out no, for him, just, right? I mean, that pisses like that pisses me off. So, so there was <laughs> there were like three NA players that I knew about before I came to NA, okay? Which were Shaden, uh, Firefire, and Nas, right? Those were like sure. the three. Those were the three that I knew. I learned about JoJo very, very quickly, but I'm I'm not going to claim credit for scouting JoJo. NASA Empire, uh, like here's a stack of like rookies you may want to look at. Jojo was the second guy on the list. I was like, holy moly, like NA super super cracked when I saw Jojo, and then <laughs> the rest of the list wasn't as good. Um, but, <laughs> but you know, he was literally the second. I like have a vivid memory that he was the second one that I was looking at. Valley was actually the first. Uh, um, but but the, that I claim no credit for. Like I I could see that Jojo had talent, right? And I was supporting him, but NASA was the one who scouted him. Empire Empire was the one who scouted him. But, you know, the Niles situation, he was put into LCS before he was ready. He was like, you know, he should have spent a year in academy working out how to test his limits better before he's mm-hmm. put in against Impact and he's put in against the uh, Sunday and all of these guys, right? And, mm-hmm. I mean, it was very, very obvious. But, you know, once you hear that he's been given an LCS, like, obviously we were very interested, right, in Niles. But once, you, he, once he has an LCS offer, what are you going to say? Come and spend a year in academy? I mean... Mm-hmm. And yeah. uh, not confirmed, but I have heard he was offered Cloud9 Academy, and he said no because he would rather take the LCS opportunity yeah, instead. But, but yeah, I mean, it's like bigger stage, more opportunity. But 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 for, from a fan perspective, that was like probably the biggest rookie narrative that they had had, and it didn't work out. So from from the expectation of oh rookies just come in and get destroyed, but then we get Danny. You know, last summer in 2021 summer, 
had a really good showing, had that insane Tristana play. JoJo, in his first year, had insane plays, right? And so I think people are starting to realize it's not all rookies that are just going to get destroyed. Maybe we shouldn't expect extremes in either direction we should expect you know let let each rookie show us what they got as they come in let let them uh kind of set the stage rather than having expectations that we throw at them but i mean i think it's telling that you know so many people in na doubted jojo but the mvp of the lec was willing to play with him i'm not saying he came to north america to play with him right because that's yeah. that's going too far right but he was willing to come and play with a rookie and give him a shot I mean, yeah. and how many people in his own region would have given him that shot? It's just an interesting question to. It's a question. Well, they both wear Crocs, so I think that that uh, already was like a yeah, yeah. Croc brothers. <laughs> That's the and key. obviously they 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 work really well together, and you know the, they're not a top five mid mid jungle duo in the world, but you know they maybe, maybe, they'll, maybe they'll push top ten. Like I think they I think I think they, oh, could, yeah. they they function really well together, but but it's. You know, it's interesting because obviously, like nobody wants to play with JoJo last year, but you know, how many people in the LCS would turn down playing with JoJo this year? You know, it's 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 interesting. Um, mm -hmm. uh, what just a few somebody giving a player a chance can can get, and I'm not going to say every single player is going to turn into like a great, you know, like JoJo and Danny are generational talents, right? Like, mm -hmm. but that doesn't mean you can't have more generational talents, right? And if you're not willing to take the risks, you won't find the generational talents. Exactly. So yep. you don't hit 100%, but if you're not even willing, you know, you know, Wayne Gretzky, Michael Scott, right? You miss 100% of the shots you don't take. I mean, so, I, this, is, this is one of the things which I, you know, I've been vocally critical about 100 Thieves, right? Like 100 mm -hmm. Thieves are all that develop talent, but tenacity and where, where was tenacity shot? At the LCS, mm -hmm. where was Kenvi shot at the LCS? Right. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, yeah, we could get into hundred thieves contract negotiations yeah. on a different podcast. <laughs> I, mean, I don't want to make too many too many enemies on this, right? Yeah, uh, that's right. Uh, I but, mean, I don't care. <laughs> but but you know, I, look, it sounds like Tanasi and Busio are both going to get LCS wherever mm -hmm. they end up, which is which is good. You know, mm -hmm. I, I don't know how they're going yeah. to do. I mean, I think Busio is going to be good. I think Tanasi is going to be decent. Uh, support is a much shallower role in NA than than top um but at least they're going to get shots right which mm -hmm. is a good thing okay if we're Niles coming said, oh yeah you know no yeah i was just why don't you finish that and then we're going to kind of come to the the end of this okay. i i see tenacity as if if niles had gotten a year in academy just talent wise just skill expression wise could have had a similar story as tenacity where he's he's in academy and he's Learning, we still haven't seen kind of slamming everybody. Tenacity's next chapter, either though, he might bust, right? True, he could, I, he still I could. Think he will, but, but yeah, yeah but he I might. think people but, agree with you. But yeah. I, ironically, like you want the the reason why Tenacity and Kenby were so hyped, in my opinion, is GV didn't GV do like an insane a video on them? He the, did, the, like, they, they were featured in a video with yeah, him, yeah. And, and to me, to me, like I think that had a massive impact on people knowing who those guys were. And obviously, oh, yeah. like the big thing about Hundred Next when they were like the first amateur program yeah. from an LCS team, all those guys came up through it. They dominated the amateur yeah. scene. It definitely wasn't uh, the academy broadcast typing them up because we have no <laughs> visuals on us at all. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but I mean, like that—that's something that shouldn't have needed to happen, and it has happened now, and that's that's great, you know. And that's obviously like 
Kangas, obviously you're, you're a huge part of that as well. But, you know, telling these guys stories is important, right? So people can, can learn who they are and, you know, maybe the next time a hype rookie comes up, they, people won't be wondering how many how many weeks until he's replaced by by a veteran. Right? So, so, Peter, <laughs> I, I want to th- throw a content idea by you before Duffy takes us off this topic because it's the final point on this. This is something that I'm going to pitch to Riot and LCS Academy. Whenever an Academy player gets promoted to LCS, we do a roast. So we, we invite other Academy players and all the Academy broadcast talent, and we sit them up on a stage on a chair and we roast them like their, their worst plays, like silly stuff that happened, funny interviews we had with them. And we roast them on stage in, in like a celebration. You made it to LCS kind of way. What, what are your thoughts? What are your thoughts? It's still a working concept. People will take it seriously. (laughs) I a hundred percent agree with that. It's so tragic. Like it should just be an obvious joke, but there will definitely be people that take it seriously. Mm-hmm. Uh, what what if we roast, but we we have every uh, joke or every roast go through like a selection process, and we we weed out the really bad ones, and we only have like the semi funny ones. Sure, 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 sure. <laughs> all right, all right. Yeah, we could be PG thirteen here. We could be R rated here, but I think when you're actually doing, you know, one of the reasons that LCS maybe hasn't been as exciting over the past like decade is because we've gotten more and more stale, more and more. Yep. Corporate's maybe not the correct word here, but sterile might be the right one. Um, partially because of, damn, dude, when Peter Dunn did something weird or something went semi-poorly, what, game five? You got all the way to game five and lost off of, with a Ziggs pick and you got a death threat? Like, you guys I mean, still no, had a no, lot. Not just one. Not just one. Uh, yeah. Oh, <laughs> Even with that much insane. success, just the one tiny bit, smallest bit of failure was enough for that sort of, outcome to occur so i'd imagine being a t1 player oh. yeah all the yeah. trucks yeah we don't have to deal with that here yeah gas prices that. too high in la to send a truck <laughs> anywhere <laughs> no one can idle outside anyone's office without needing to like spend 200 bucks <laughs> um peter i got a couple of things i want to uh we've talked a lot about so many different things but let's focus now in your mind i want to ask you both both for na and for eu I'm going to start with NA, and then I'm going to ask you about EU. In NA, what tomorrow can be changed that will help? And you could be Um, philosophical. You could be like, here's like a specific change, right? Needs to make right now. Here's a little esports change. It could be a mentality thing. What is something that can actually be actioned upon tomorrow? Change the Proving Grounds format to the one that they've currently got. Put more money into Amateur. Why is putting money into Amateur important? Because the more competitive your Amateur circuit is, the more opportunities you have for players to rise up without going through an academy system, right? Mm-hmm. Once you join the academy system, you're tied, your future is tied to that organization, right? For better or for worse. Um, uh, also, uh, you need to find a way... Like NA's biggest issue is that they don't have a way to... To train coaches, right? There's there's just nothing there, um, mm-hmm. and I don't know what the solution to that is. You can't just duplicate the ERLs; it's, that's just not how it works. But there there must be a way that, that to to do this. Like, and you know, you, you can't expect players to get better with with the caliber of coaching that you currently have. And again, I don't want to blame the coaches, right? It's not about 
saying that the coaches are bad so they can never get better. It's that they've never had an opportunity to prove themselves, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so that's what I would say for NA. Um, I like a lot of the changes that are coming through. I like a lot of the things, the changes are coming to LCS. I like the changes to Proving Ground format. You know, Champions Q. What I would do with Champions Q is open it up to more people and give priority to like priority queue like they had at worlds to lcs players and academy players right maybe weight the priority slightly less than mm-hmm. for worlds players because it was weighted really high for worlds players um and just in, allow more people into it so that games continue to run more frequently right uh, especially if there's underrepresented roles you know just put more people in those roles and by having priority queue it, when lcs pros want to come back they can just come back right um mm-hmm. But a lot of the problems with Champions Q is that solo laners just didn't play. <laughs> like, mm, you know, okay. um, and, you know I, don't have a, I don't have a better solution than that. People will complain about the quality of the Q, but frankly, it's better than solo Q no matter what, because at least you're playing on low ping. Mm-hmm. Um, what else would I say? Uh, you know, just realize that there's no quick solutions, right? From the perspective of families it's not because like na has a lot of structural issues which are long term you know it's the damage has accumulated over many many years and you can't just fix it overnight there's just no quick fixes you just have to find a way to to change your incentive structure for rookies coming up uh and you know that's being done um the other thing is that you know there should be an amount of tolerance from fans to recognize, you know, I think Doublelift mentioned this, where he said, you know, if you get one unit of practice from every game of Korean solo queue, you get 0.3 in NA. But the one thing that Doublelift didn't mention is your one unit of practice was less than five minutes of queue time. Whereas in NA, your 0.3 units of practice was 50 minutes of queue time if you're in high elo and it's the mm-hmm. wrong time of the night, right? So, mm-hmm. so that's what I would say. That's what I would say on that. Like, it's this is why my philosophy on Champions Q is like this: is to cycle as many games as possible, right? It doesn't even if your quality isn't 100% the highest, then you know that will encourage more people to play. And worst case, it will allow more people to make a name for themselves. So mm-hmm. that's what I would say in North America. Normally, positive change in a region is bottom up, right? When G2 mm-hmm. were winning. When G2 were winning all of their, um, were winning MSI and doing well at Worlds, they were strong because Fnatic was challenging them and Origin was challenging them. Splice were pretty garbage in scrims. I'm, I'm gonna, you know, we made the Worlds, but we were a pretty awful scrim team. <laughs> we tried, but like, like G2, G2 uh, were really, really good in scrims. I don't, I think we were the. Uh, we were the, the the team, you know, feeding feeding G two. But at least our reviews were short. At least our reviews were short. Mm, uh, there we go. At least, you know, uh, we didn't, didn't waste yourself. time. But yeah, we yeah. didn't waste time. Uh, so that's what I, I, I in North America. I, I got one final point that I don't I don't think any players listen to the podcast, but I would love to be able to quote you on this for players if they ever ask me in the future. So think about this one. Because I've heard from other uh personalities, other coaches, other people in the scene that there's some roles in North America that are very weak. And if you're a, a an amateur or academy player that wants to make LCS and you're willing to role swap, there are certain roles that you should consider learning and swapping to. Do you have an opinion on that? And what role do you think is the most necessary for North America to develop right now? So firstly, disadvantage this just before we go into it. Bradley's role swap to top, and now like there's all these top laners coming up. You know, <laughs> it's so sad. Yeah, <laughs> kind of sucks for him. Right? Um, but um, no, I mean Bradley's still still he'll he'll probably he's, get he's still good. I mean, with tenacity, saying you're the second best top laner in the academy, yeah, yeah, yeah. you're doing well. Uh, 
but obviously support is the week as well in North America. Nobody, nobody, let's not be under any illusion about this. Um, AD carry, um, there's a lot of AD carries that are pretty hyped, but frankly, I feel like AD carry, especially early lane, early game lane bully AD carries, there's not that many of in North America. There, there, there's some good team fight AD carries, um, but not very uh, lane dominant ones. Uh, so yeah, th- those are the roles if you wanted to roll swap. Um, I think it's kind of sad though that, you know, the the future of NA mids is to roll swapping to play support. Uh, because that's yeah, exactly what it's, 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 right? it's happening. Mm-hmm. Yeah, even Diamond did it, right? Yeah, a lot yeah, of players. Yeah. did it in I the mean, LCS. Yeah, I mean, like again, Busio could have been a decent, he could have been a Niski star player in the LCS, right? Like, mm-hmm. and um, but anyway, uh, I'm sure he'll do well on support. Uh, but yeah, you know, roll swapping is an support option. 80 carry, cool. Yeah. I mean, okay. I had a player on amateur called. Sketch streams, and you know, I said you should also up to support because you have really good shot calling, really good mechanics in lane. Um, yeah, just consider it, right? You'll have more shots. Um, yeah, but mid is kind of doomed. So, <laughs> you know, people would rather import blue than promote APA or something. Like that. Oh, oh, yeah. oh. He's gone now. <laughs> no shade to blue, but like, yeah, oh. unlucky. Oh, uh, okay, blue. all yeah. the shade. What I would say about Blue is, you know, there were rumors that he was taking an injury, right? Uh, Which is one of the reasons why he couldn't perform at his best. But Mm -hmm. who knows? Who knows if those rumors were true, right? So, so you know, maybe he had more potential that that we just didn't see. It it, to to us, it felt very much more like not a commentary on Blue, a commentary on the management and coaching and everything that chose Blue over bringing someone up. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I think that's fair. I will say, though, in defense of Dignitas, I think Armut's actually not bad. I think people think Armut's really, really garbage. But there's one thing that Armut, if you had to say, what is Armut's biggest strength? It's team fighting. And a team fighting top laner in North America when all the games go long is actually valuable. Like, I don't think I was going back through Dig's transfer history, and I actually think Armut is their second best ever transfer. <laughs> <laughs> because I think they got River for not very much and sold him for a decent amount of money. Yeah, <laughs> so, no, that that the whole you, yeah, we can talk later about the background yeah, story behind that. But I know a lot of the context there. That that story was crazy. <laughs> I think I think Ahmed yeah. is literally their second ever best. So so ironically, you know, I'm saying all of these things about NA tops, and you know, I don't think Ahmed's actually that bad. <laughs> ironically, um, but, but but yeah, um, yeah. So I I think it's pretty sad that no NA mid laners will get a shot, but. It is what it is. At least some of them will get shot in the academy, hopefully. All right. Yeah, I, uh, I think oh, yeah, all go for of it. us are on the boat of uh, we're never going to begrudge a player for taking the best offer they get. So oh, yeah. we all tended to be like, yeah. why blue? But not begrudging blue. Like yeah. blue should absolutely take the best offer, even if we think it's a stupid offer. Good on him. <laughs> so let's switch it up. You're um, currently home in England, which is not part of the EU, but it is EU. Um, what tomorrow do you think? Because we're talking about this. Oh, NA is doing terrible. Well, guess what, world? NA, in my mind, by most metrics, except for getting out of groups, performed better than EU. They had the better head-to-head. They won the only best of between the two regions, True. True. Um, which broke my own heart. I don't know if we could... Uh, Shut up. Lo- a, Shut okay. up, Kangas. All right. <laughs> hey, Faker We're... said they could be the best region. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, 100% honestly, too. With this context, LEC struggled this year. What can they do better next year, starting tomorrow, that would actually improve? <laughs> 
Yeah, Tim you've Tim. already mentioned it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I mean, like that's 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 something that maybe they could consider. Um, mm -hmm. Who knows? Um, I haven't been in Europe for many, many for two years, so who knows how things have changed. Mm -hmm. um, but what I would say is that uh, Europe has a lot of advantages that they can make use of, right? And those advantages are things like, um, uh, you know, they have the best academy system in the entire world, including China and Korea, right? Wow. Yeah. Um, and That's I'm not saying that, that they have the best talent in that system, but I'm saying they have the best system, right? Mm -hmm. um, they have the best system for developing coaches. Uh, they have best way for giving people competitive match practice. And the one thing I will say that maybe EU is learning a bit more is that just because somebody failed in the LEC once doesn't mean that their career is done, right? It's mm -hmm. telling that Segenda was... Segenda looked awful on Vitality, I'm going to be honest, back in 2020, but he he, he went back to ERLs, he ground his way up and was heavily chased this, this offseason, right? So I think awesome. that, that's, that that is at least the positive, right? And I think mm -hmm. that's something that EU needs to learn because frankly, sometimes people were coming up too early getting one shot and then just never getting another chance again. Right. Um, mm -hmm. And I think that's maybe one thing that you can learn. Um, it's difficult though, because obviously you're in a position where if you're the owner of a team or the GM or the head coach, your goal is to win, right? It's not to improve your region. Like if, if, if anything, it's better to sabotage your region, right? So you can win, but you yeah. sabotage your region too much. And eventually, um, eventually it goes, it goes bad. The other eventually thing I would you say, get EU in 2022, right? Yeah, but the one thing that I will say about EU is maybe something that EU fans don't appreciate that much. But the fact that North America has been bringing in so many EU players over the past few years has forced dogs to innovate. It's forced dogs to to find you know development systems because you know sure I'm not going to say it's great to lose inspired right, but it's how bad is it to lose blue for instance? Um, with you know with respect to blue line again um uh you know because it forces it forces renewal of of new talent right and i think that it's very easy to stagnate when uh when something like that doesn't exist and what i would say is that fewer and fewer players are going to be moving to north america in the future right so what mm -hmm. what will that mean for eu uh we're about to find out you know a lot of european teams uh, I've got to be careful about this. A lot of European teams are looking elsewhere. Um, We've seen it already. Like, yeah, and, and if rumors are to be believed, the highest, the highest paying, the two highest paying teams in the West next year will be European teams. Mm. And I would say probably, probably, I, I wonder what how large the difference was between Vitality and TL last year because you know they paid perks as buyout. Yeah. So I, I don't think it's a world anymore where it's just NA just overpowering EU with, with money. So we'll see how it works the other way around. It, it, I'm not saying they can... Yeah, I, I've heard the same things, and to me it feels like a market correction, where NA was not doing well enough to warrant the money we were spending on the rosters that we were getting, whereas EU has been doing better, and now they're catching up in, in, in the money that they're willing to spend on players and teams. I mean, there's some worlds where I wish that, you know, we were we were in like a football manager, you know, an esports manager simulation, right? So yep. I could I could go and import uh, top esports to NA and see how they, you know, force them to play solo queue, force them to fix us, please. Yeah. No, no, but but to see how to see what the because there's clearly a cost, right, associated with being in NA and how much would that 
would it impact a player who comes to this region? How long would it take to to wear them down? Right? Mm-hmm. Um, but alas, you cannot do such things. Um, so 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 we'll just have to we'll just have to see. But but I think that there are there are huge structural disadvantages in NA, and until we fix them, you know. Mm-hmm. Maybe value, maybe value winning in NA a bit more than people seem to do. Um, that's what I would say. All right, Bickle, and then I've got just a few questions, and we'll let you get out of here. Sure thing. So, uh, one thing about EU in particular, there's been a lot of rumored format changes. What are your thoughts on those coming in? Absolutely fantastic. Like that's relegations, right? It's franchise. It's relegations and franchising. Uh, <laughs> One of the things which I really wish, like if you'd offered, if I could have created the franchising model, and obviously, you know, I couldn't, but uh, it would have been a, it would have been a two league franchising, right? So you have mm. ten t, you have promotion and relegations, but you stick within franchising, if that kind of makes sense. Uh, so, so you still have a slot, and no new teams can come in, but you have you have ways to force teams to make an effort, right? And that's what the EU system does. It gives more airtime to the teams, to the strong teams, takes away viewership from the weak teams, and it means that we don't have to watch. And I, I was going to say Astralis, but I'm, I'm too mean to Astralis, right? I, like, I <laughs> no them. one's too mean to Astralis. Uh, we call them Astralis. We can say literally BDS for two years in a row. We know what you're talking Go about. Go for a throwback. BDS. We don't have to watch Origin versus Rocket anymore. Oh, yeah. God. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we don't have to. Okay, we don't have to watch BDS get smashed by. Actually, they didn't. They beat G two. They they, they only did. had two wins. They, they the did. They did. Teams. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. yep. <laughs> we don't have to watch BDS against Flash <laughs> or BDS against. <laughs> like it's, which is which is a good thing, right? Like, uh-huh. so I really like that format. I think that they should. Let's see how it works, but I suspect that that's actually like so, a really smart change. So what you mean by relegations in a franchise league is not an actual return of relegations. It's yeah. the fact that if you're a bottom team, your season is a month. And then the good teams continue on in what their kind of like playoff bracket is, which is much longer. And it is basically the same length, if not more than the season itself. So as fans, we don't have to watch the bad teams for as long throughout a year. And if you're one of those bad teams, you're incentivized to turn the ship around because you want to get more airtime and more chance to be on the stream. Do you think like the introduction of more best of series will be beneficial come long term? To international performance in a way for you 100 percent um i think also the issue with franchising is that the lower level teams just to respond to kangas quickly uh, is that lower level teams can hostage the league right because australis yeah. can say what are you going to do to us right like we you know we paid our franchising model we don't have to sell to keiko you know we could just we could just sit here and and take our money and what are you going to do about it and this is i feel like this has this is lec saying well, this is what we're going to do about it. You'll move, you'll move, you know? Uh, so, sorry, what was your question again? Uh, about... Best of in their oh, best impact. Of, best of. Yeah, I mean, best of for sure. Uh, actually, I watched a fantastic... I watched Heretics play in the Iberian Cup, and they played Fearless in a best of five with blind pick game five. Yes, oh. bring it back. And then yes. let's just say Heretics, Heretics were by far the better team. They were playing against Bars. So the first semi-final was 3-0 to one team. It didn't fearless didn't make a difference. But in the second semi-final, Heretics were much better than Barcelona, um, who, who they were against. But the Barcelona coach in the first game gave four signature champions to the other team, and they were not pickable for the rest of the series. Because uh. obviously Heretics took those champions and just smashed the entire game. 
uh, and then but then they were hamstrung in draft and i've never seen that happen like deliberately like sabotaging yourself in draft so that you can trick well you can entice the other other coach to pick his strongest comp and then you have an, an advantage in that that was super interesting and then obviously it went to game five and fearless Mm-hmm. Yeah, the blind pick, they just picked four mm-hmm. champions, four of the five champions that they could have picked, and it was, it was over very, very quickly. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Great yeah. for development. Huge, yeah. huge for that. Um, I've just got a couple of questions, though, uh, that we're going to get out of here. These are some fun ones. Um, you can make one major change to League of Legends, not to the ecosystem, not to LOL Esports, none of that. What is your major change tomorrow to League of Legends? You can say delete Yumi, by the way. This is allowed. <laughs> that is the um, correct answer. I mean, for, for, for League of Legends, how I like it, or for League of Legends, how the fan base would like it. For, for However you, but... you want to interpret it. Yeah. Um, uh, firstly, okay, so we already talked about this before, uh, the practice tool. I think practice mm-hmm. tool is really important. But, but let's talk about uh, – I'll, I'll just summarize it really quickly. Okay, for me, um, I think split pushing should be viable. Um, and I think that – you know, you had a rock, paper, scissors of disengage comp, engage comp, um, split push comp, where split push beats disengage, disengage beats engage, engage beats split. Uh, and they've kind of taken away, they've taken away one of the tri, tri force or whatever you want to call it. Um, yeah. And that's, that's kind of made the game more predictable. And it's taken away the, the ability for creative teams like G2 to, to function. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, the... Uh, uh, so I, I would like, you know, less less importance placed on dragons and less importance placed on heralds, but that's never going to happen because mm-hmm. the world's world's had some exciting games, right? So, yeah. Uh, but I can't believe that Kingan won a game at Worlds where he just didn't go to a side lane as Camille for like 15 minutes and it tilted uh-huh. me out of my mind. But <laughs> you know, he still won. He still won the game. Um, he played the team uh, fight so goddamn well. Though. He played the team fights pretty insane, but it's insane that he's. 3k gold ahead, or like almost 3k gold ahead on Camille into into Aatrox and he never touches the side wave and actually Aatrox takes his side lane tower where like he can't even sit on the same screen as Camille without Camille killing him. So <laughs> That's finals me, MVP king to you. Well, yeah. And I'm talking about his play in that same series so clearly maybe I'm just wrong, right? You know, I'm an old fogey, you know, I just, I remember season six, you know, where, where you can just push away, take all the towers, you know, uh, it's, it's, okay. That's what I would enjoy. I don't know if it's the fan base would enjoy. Uh, what I would say, if, if it's a fan base related thing, what would, what I would change inside the game? Um, you need the single most important thing uh, to improve your fan base is to have a better um, introductory tool to League of Legends, right? Like the, the tutorial is complete. It's not very good. Um, ass, it's it's not very good. And your entrance points to League of Legends Esports are also not very good, right? Mm-hmm. Um, now, uh, you just need to find ways to do it, right? And it's going to be very, very unrewarding, but it's going to make a huge, it, it will make a huge difference. Now, maybe dumbing down the game a bit will help in that regard. Um, but I'm missing, like, I want to show my mother, who's 70 mm-hmm. plus and doesn't know anything about League of Legends. Like, I want to be able to show her this video and say, watch this and you will understand the game better. Yep. Uh, and yeah. That's what I would say about that. <laughs> mm-hmm. All right. It's crazy that there's YouTube channels. I mean, I worked at Pro Guides for a while, but there's many ones like Pro Guides that their entire, maybe not their entire business model, but a large portion of their business model is making content to explain how to play games like League of Legends. 
because the game doesn't tell you how to play the game well enough. Mm-hmm. And yep. it's like funny when people who do play the game don't even understand like everything that's getting changed. Yeah. Like if Smite gets changed or something like that and you know the uh, the level you are doesn't change the the Smite damage or anything like that and maybe you oh, know. you called somebody out on this broadcast, Mongoose? No, 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 you don't have to spend a ton of brain power on these. I want these to be very clear. This is for fun, not to flame anything or anyone. Can an EU team win Worlds? This year? Next year. 2023? 2023. Vitality. Where, where is Worlds? Uh, Worlds, Worlds will China, be in Korea, know. I believe. My guess Worlds is Korea. I, I don't know. Actually, no. Okay, Worlds in Korea? Yeah, possible. Possible. Okay. Here's the. Uh, but only because Worlds is in Korea. If Worlds was in NA or Worlds was in e- EU, I would say no. Mm. What if it was okay. in China? It was in China, possible. Okay. Like, so you so have to. Do you think the introduction to the Eastern solo queue would be beneficial for them? Solo queue and scrims. Okay. Okay. Um, higher, like, higher value. Like, like, I think, I think, so this is, this may sound a bit like copium, but basically, you know, not having that much scrims against Asian teams. I mean, like, 100 Thieves, Cloud9, and EG scrimmed each other, right, quite a lot. But mm-hmm. with respect to C9 and 100 Thieves, like, I'd rather be scrimming literally any Asian any of the team others. Yes. With, with respect, right? Yeah, uh, so, so, so it's possible. Um, is it likely? No. Um, mm-hmm. If I had to give a percentage chance, I would say 10%. Okay, here's... Hey, 10% ain't bad. Here's the big kicker, Peter. Mm-hmm. 2023. Be honest. Can a North American sure. team. No. Okay. All right. We're done. Win worlds or yes, win world. let's do it easier. Can a North American team make it to semis? I'm just trying to think who the I North hate, American teams are. Yeah. I hate that you didn't even say finals. You didn't even well, say can they? Nope. Make finals. I couldn't do it. I couldn't semis. do it. Who is? I was trying to end it on a semi-positive note. <laughs> uh, hey, no pun intended. So, 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 two things. Number one, TR going full Korean. Who are the full Korean? Who are the Koreans you're bringing in? Who's the top laner for EG? Who's the top laner in AD carry for EG? Because um, you know, EG didn't get like the full shot at Worlds this year. Uh, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah, and I think, I think honestly, EG. With respect to Hundred Thieves and Cloud Nine, because their fans probably already don't like me very much, but <laughs> considering what I, you know, that I don't like uh, the the rivalry with C Nine, and you know that I always go on talk shows and flame Hundred Thieves, mm-hmm. <laughs> like the, uh, uh, <laughs> I think the EG had were the team that had the best chance of doing any damage, uh, and yeah. you know, they still did damage, right? But they were just mm-hmm. they were in a, they had a really tough group, and you know I don't think Hundred Thieves took Flying Oysters seriously at all. Uh, which is obviously completely like it was really obvious that they just they didn't take them seriously. Um, so so for me, um, EG would never have made that mistake, um, and that's why I would say um, that that's why I would say say it, it was harsh on them this year. I think it's I would say it's a higher than ten percent chance. Oh no, let, let's go with ten percent chance that an NA team makes sense. 
there's there's okay. a literal zero percent chance that any team can win wins world select. Hey, we will there, hey, we'll we, take we, that to the bank any day. A chance of an EU team winning. Yeah. <laughs> Honestly, I'll take it. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great note, I think, to end on, Peter. I know it's almost six a.m. over there. If it hasn't already, oh, it just passed. Yeah, it's I think, six a.m. Yeah. <laughs> I've been I've been taking a lot of this uh, carbonated energy drink. I don't know if you have any sponsors uh, on this channel. We do not. I won't see which one. <laughs> Not for that. So uh, maybe you should, you know, DM me later and we can maybe get something rolling there and we'll just edit in <laughs> you saying the uh, the correct brand name later. Um, Peter, once again, uh, for the foreseeable future, Twitter seems to still exist. Where can people find you? Um, find me on PCDV8R, which I've now told you. I, I think this is the first uh, show that I've ever talked about why my, why my Twitter <laughs> handle is that. So that is my Twitter handle for as long as Twitter exists. Uh, and it seems to exist right now. So, so yeah, that would that would be the best way to reach me. We're the real Twitch? deep stream? dive. Uh, do I stream? Um, not anything League of Legends related. Um, but if you go to my Twitter, the pin post is my Discord. And we're coming to the off season. I will be doing three seminars this off season. I do seminars every off season. Uh, we will be doing one seminar on uh, on specifically going into detail on TL. Um, one probably on top esports it will either be top esports or c9 uh going into super super detail like how to break down how to analyze the team uh, from a professional perspective and then the third seminar will be on how to build a coaching portfolio uh, and those will just be those will be like i do seminars every off season and you know keep an eye out for those i don't want to do them before the transfer window is closed because i don't want to risk you know causing drama or like impacting somebody else's career right but yeah, but yeah, the tf one will be really interesting so if you're not streaming uh, League of Legends, does that mean you are streaming your co-op gameplay with your girlfriend? Wife. Wife, yeah. Wife. Partner, whatever. Partner. Uh, yeah. Partner, yes. Partner. Uh, I mean, all, all I will say is that, you know, there's a new Pokemon game coming out tomorrow. Uh, hey. Right. It's in Iberia, you know? Uh, Ooh. So looking, forward, looking forward to playing some Pokemon in Iberia. Yeah, that'll be fun. Okay. Uh, thank you once again, Peter. Uh, thanks for all this. It's been super informative. Um, we've all loved having you here and I know our audience has as well. Uh, and everyone who's listening, uh, you know what? Um, I can't figure out any way to turn this into a five joke. Kangas, do you got anything for me? Um, Peter, how many players were on EG this summer? That's the answer six, bro. LCS. No, LCS. LCS. <laughs> oh, damn it. Six. This spring. This spring. God damn it. Spring. <laughs> Give us the six out of five stars anyway. Yeah, okay. There podcasts. it is. There Thank you. <laughs> Give us one star wherever you are reviewing and listening to this podcast <laughs> on for every player that starred on the EG LCS roster in Summer Split. Somehow, that means you got to figure out that six star. The six star, of course, should just be you writing a review. No, no. Just leave a second review that's one stars. And no, then okay. Really don't do six. that. <laughs> don't do that. That is not great. Um, but thank you guys uh everyone is listening we got some more fun off-season content coming through uh really just goofball shenanigans it's a very short off-season so uh yeah. the lcs and the lec are starting up pretty damn quickly pretty much right after the new year um but we're gonna enjoy some fun times with y'all can't so, wait for us to know who team liquid's mid laner is next week oh boy Ooh. yeah there's a lot of things coming through we're seeing rumors just literally i was literally seeing them fly through my twitter feed um so it's happening it still currently exists still exists hopefully we'll see what happens all the way through we're gonna Monday. go back to reddit aren't we oh my god oh, i no, can't no, believe reddit. it let's go back to, to myspace baby. Facebook. oh myspace yeah yes yeah <laughs> 
I'm going to make you guys all listen to Coheed and Cambria so, every time so you load team, up my page. Team Liquid's <laughs> new mid laner is Tom? Tom. <laughs> yes, it is Tom. He's actually everyone's friend again, too. Mm-hmm. Um, that's going to do it for us. Uh, thank you guys for listening. Uh, each and every week, we wouldn't do this out you. Patrons, you guys kick ass. Once again, you're able to make this happen as well. We love you, and we'll see you next week. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye. 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 Peace.